who are blind or visually impaired or have any other disability are hired with Jim's Gate. Welcome, Jim. Thank you very much for the opportunity to talk to you all. Excellent. So let's go ahead and start with, uh, let's talk about uh, a new push to get uh, people with disabilities uh, hired into J.P. Morgan Chase. Well, the Office of Disability Inclusion was uh, launched in June 6th of last year. So uh, this month is my one-year anniversary with the firm and with the office. Uh, the mission of the office is to uh, build uh, an, an accessibility program at the firm, enhance it, uh, work on hiring, uh, handle accommodations for employees worldwide, and collaborate with executives and managers to make our environment as accessible, as welcoming as possible. Excellent, and what role do you specifically play in uh, getting that done? Well, I am the head of the Office of Disability Inclusion, and my job is to set the strategy, come up with the playbook to execute, and make sure um, our policies uh, uh, around the world work uh, together for both the able-bodied and the disabled population. Um, I see the role as more as a culture change or change management or paradigm shift in terms of how we look at the disability and the disabled community. My job is to make our culture as, as welcoming to people with disabilities as it is to the general population. Excellent. So would this cover all departments, like uh, if somebody wants to, let's say, work either in the um, information technology department or work as a bank teller or anything like that? Yeah, that, that is a, a, an interesting question because, you know, we're a large employer. We're over, you know, 240,000 employees around the world. And we've got folks in all capacities. Uh, my role is to level the playing field uh, in, the, in, in the way that says, if you're qualified for a job, um, you're, you should apply for a job and you will be considered as uh, anyone else's. The, uh, the change management works two ways. It's not that, and I don't mean to, this to be, um, you know, coarse, because I have a disability myself. I'm a C5. C6 quadriplegic, uh, so I motor around in a wheelchair here. But if you're qualified of a job, you have the same opportunity to apply and compete for that job as anyone else does. Um, on the converse of that, that side, you know, over the last 20 years, the, uh, the motif has been, do you have jobs for disabled people? And the answer here is that we don't have jobs for disabled people. We have jobs for qualified people, uh, and we want you to compete for those jobs. So, you know, it's a little bit of a mindset change on both sides of the fence, on the business side as well as the our community side. But it, it's a new era for 
a disability here. I call it a new dawn for disability in terms of these new opportunities, new ways to look at the workforce, and, and new ways that people uh, that disabilities should see themselves as being competitive and being able to come into a, an environment that is accessible, uh, welcoming, and also will assimil assimilate people with disabilities into a culture. Excellent. Yeah, that's the way I see it too. Is you know, if you're qualified for a job, you should definitely have a fair shot at applying and getting that job if you truly qualify for it. Yeah, and so hey, look, one example was when I was interviewed for this position, I, I, I went through a number of interviews. Let, let's say more than ten interviews for this position, uh, because it was important to the firm that they pick the right candidate, and it was a very competitive um, environment looking for a job. Uh, in in the last week, I've had people who were blind, for example, looking for jobs too. Um, and some of these folks are still in play, uh, doing you know multiple interviews with multiple people, and they're going through the competitive process. Years ago, uh, as you know, people who listed a disability on their bio would probably never get called. Uh, over here, we're seeing uh, people getting called, people getting interviewed, and and uh, just this month uh, in India, uh, I know we hired you know. Uh, a dozen people with disabilities in the last few months. Uh, so the firm is really, uh, uh, you know, picking up the pace on this, finding qualified people for these jobs, and taking action uh, on them. So I'm very proud of what uh, the firm is doing worldwide, as well as the attitudes I see um, that we just tapped into. I, I think the attitude was over here. We're just giving people permission to go ahead and, and do it without any, um, uh, you know, thought that they, they, you know, are they doing something totally different? And the answer is no. And and people are feeling it. They're feeling the uh, the pressure to do um, the right thing rather than second guess themselves. And I mean pressure in a positive way. Yeah, that's that's really great. So let's shift over a little bit to the customer side of things and. What is Chase doing to continue its commitment to the customers that uh, are blind or visually impaired? Well, as, as you may know, or some of your colleagues may know in Reno, that um, we have a whole team that uh, worries about, you know, accessibility and, and accommodations for our, for our customers or clients that come to our bank. Uh, we've won numerous awards. Uh, complimenting us on our app, and I've heard firsthand from uh, folks from our blind community on the outside that that talk about how well our apps are and how accessible they are for their use. Um, so when things go well, that's great. Our cash machines, our uh, ATMs are are better than ever. I'm told. I I don't get to use them myself. I, my wife does the banking for me, but. Um, um, you know, I visit our banks, I've done tours of our banks, and I'm, and I'm really proud of what our folks are doing. I'd like to see us be the bank for people with disabilities uh, now and in the future. And I'm working with teams to make sure that we could head in that direction. Um, I think uh, 
as you know, people with disabilities as well uh, as other communities are underbanked, and we'd like to get them, you know, into the financial, uh, you know, arena uh, because you know it, it's the way the world works, uh, and so we're looking at all of that. Uh, secondly, we are working on better ways, more efficient ways to deliver materials to our clients with disabilities um, in the way they want to see them, whether they, you know, need, you know, closed captioning, uh, they need uh, material in Braille, or however they need to get statements or other paperwork delivered to them in the forms that they want, we're looking at ways to improve all that. So this is top of mind for the bank. It's not like uh, a second thought. Uh, I've got just last, uh, the week before last, before I went out to uh, Oregon with, with Rodney for a conference, um, I met with our bankers here uh, uh, showcasing some of the new ideas they want to put through to make us even more effective and efficient for our, our, our customers who have disabilities. So it's top of mind is the point I really want to make. Yeah, I, I really do enjoy the accessibility with both you know the Chase website and the Chase app because being totally blind myself, I enjoy doing all of my banking electronically because that's easiest for me. And I do enjoy the talking ATMs as well, you know, when I need to access them. Okay, so is there anything else that uh, you would like to tell our listeners about that we haven't covered thus far? Well, I, you look, I, I think the world is changing ever, you know, ever more, ever faster. Um, uh, uh, people are looking at new ways to do things. We're working on accessibility programs in, in our tech, technology space internally and externally. And what I'm telling people today is that in, in, in the next two decades or sooner, you know, accessibility will be like iPhones were, you know, 20 years ago. When I was growing up, we didn't have mobile phones. My kids tell me, gee, Dad, how did you get along without mobile technology or the iPhone or, um, you know, the Samsung or, or whatever anybody uses. And, and the point is now it's like common all over the place. I think in business and in the, in the workplace and in, in our communities, accessibility for blind, uh, deaf, and hard of hearing will be as common as the iPhone was. In 20 years, uh, things will just be built with, you know, you know, captioning, like curb cuts. All of those technologies that were new will be common. And I think access to websites and banking and, you know, how we shop for goods online will even be better. Uh, and, and it won't even be a question uh, anymore. It'll just be how it gets done. I think uh, people with disabilities that, that end up with issues in the future will be less burdened with the stuff that we were burdened with three decades ago. Um, it's better today, but I think it'll even get better tomorrow. I know it's slow, but I'm optimistic that companies like J.P. Morgan Chase and others are really looking at this space seriously, you know, to make, you know, everything, you know, level set for everybody, that it works seamlessly no matter what disability we have. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Everything that is new today will be um, the norm as we move forward. Where can uh, customers or potential customers or anybody 
go to find out more information about this and who can they contact? About accessibility or about our bank? <laughs> uh, both, actually. Well, uh, we have our, our public wealth website talks about accessibility. Uh, I think it's jpmorganchase.com has stuff in terms of always what's going on within the firm and new technologies and our work in the community. It's rich with that kind of stuff. If you go to our banking uh, website, uh, they'll have places to call like chase.com, et cetera, that'll get you to where you have to go. And then there are various 800 numbers to find out uh, more information or make requests for accommodations that, that a person with a disability may need. I think the, the, the firm's website and, and folks are very open and, and prepared uh, to handle inquiries about this topic. That's excellent. Well, thank you very much for being on ACB Radio with me, and uh, we definitely look forward to seeing uh, folks from Chase uh, around the American Council of the Blind Convention this year. Well, have a great conference. Hello, everybody. This is Larry Turnbull with ACB Radio. And once again, we've got uh, another great sponsor here. With me is uh, Zach Bastian with Verizon. And thank you, Verizon, for being an emerald sponsor for the 2017 American Council of the Blind Conference and Convention in Reno, Nevada. Hello, Zach. Well, thank you so much, Larry. Um, It's a sincere pleasure to take part in the event. Absolutely. We're glad to have you along, and we're glad that uh, Verizon, along with many other sponsors, uh, helped make this convention be the great success that it is. All right. Without further ado, so what is Verizon doing uh, this year to keep its commitment to those customers with uh, blindness or low vision? Well, that's a great question, Larry. We've got a lot of things that I'm quite proud of and happy to talk about. Um, For anyone that's curious about all the things that Verizon has to offer, whether they be, you know, folks that are part of ACB or anyone that's just curious about accessible products and services, the first place to start is verizon.com slash accessibility. And that's a great clearinghouse of everything that we've got going. I'm happy to break down some of those things, but it basically gives a profile of all the accessibility services, both in our wireless suite of services and also in Fios, which is our TV and internet product. So um, not only can you go on this site and find, for example, if you go to our wireless accessibility page, you can find a chart on a page called Accessibility Device Features and Apps. You can find all the different um, configurations available for our phones, but also a very handy um, design for screen reader chart uh, profiling all the basic devices with accessible features, uh, walking through you know each uh, feature and whether it's available on that device, and just giving a customer that's blind or low vision the, the ability to go to the site with a screen reader Um, easily browse this chart and find the device that works best for them. Um, What we're also happy to offer on the wireless side of things is our Verizon Wireless National Accessibility Customer Service Center. So this is open 8 a.m. to 9 p.m. Monday through Friday. 
Um, and you can access this um, in two ways. Number one, you can dial 888-262-1999. That's toll free. Or dial six, uh, star 611 from your Verizon phone. Um, and this is our national national customer service center dedicated completely to accessibility. So people that have been specially trained to address questions related to accessibility and that have all the information that you need on making Verizon services accessible for you centralized in one place. Um, and I'm proud to say that um, AFB, American Foundation for the Blind, did a secret shopper exercise in the spring and Verizon due to you know our, the excellent work by our web accessibility team and their experience with our wireless national accessibility customer service center um, rated Verizon as the best out of the major providers for accessible services so I was really thrilled to see how that come out, came out and it's it's a result of a lot of hard work by our team great so let's touch on Fios a little bit I know the last couple of years, a lot of uh, you know cable and satellite providers have had to work to make their set top boxes accessible for those with blind or low vision. Uh, what is Verizon? What is Verizon doing to address that uh, issue? Well, great question, Larry. And um, as I'm sure a lot of folks listening to this will know, um, the CVAA or the Communications and Video Accessibility Act uh, required that uh, major cable providers, including us, uh, include text-to-speech and have it available um, by the end of last year. So we actually got in um, ahead of the deadline and were able to launch our text-to-speech feature, which offers text-to-speech functionality for the Fios TV on-screen guide to enhance accessibility for our visually impaired customers. So it provides an audible voice to read out of on-screen text, such as menu and guide data, and it can be enabled or disabled via the, the on-screen guide and provides a normal voice reading of the text displayed within the menu on screen. So what I was really happy to do is get um, Eric Bridges from American Council of the Blind, the, uh, the executive director that I work very closely with here at Verizon, up to our facilities in Basking Ridge. and. Thanks to the assistance of some fantastic people on our product and legal teams, Eric and Paul Schrader, uh, who has worked uh, within the vision loss community for many years, uh, most recently uh, with American Foundation for the Blind, were able to get early access to the product, uh, test it out in our facilities in Basking Ridge, and give feedback on you know what they would like to see, what they liked about it, what they didn't like. Um, and we were, I was really, really happy to facilitate that. Um, Eric and Paul have been really wonderful guides and friends within the community, have been very generous in helping me learn a lot about what folks living with vision loss are concerned about as far as our services, which is, you know, very, very helpful to me because a lot of my job is trying to understand the perspective of folks who are dealing with these impairments on a day-to-day -day basis and how we might better serve them. But they offered a lot of great feedback and, you know, came out satisfied that what we were offering, although it's not perfect and there's, they certainly had some tweaks that they recommended, that it's um, a great, uh, is a great option and fulfills uh, the requirements of the CVAA. Um, now, uh, one of the related things that I would want to point out is that we also have for our uh, 
for Fios a dedicated customer service center on accessibility. So it's this this one is the Verizon Center for Customers with Disabilities, and you can access it toll free eight hundred nine seven four six zero zero six via voice. Or if you're calling, if you're if you're also dealing with a hearing impairment and you're calling from a TTY phone, you can dial five zero eight two five one. 5301, and that's open Monday through Friday, 8.30 to 5. So uh, beyond that, we're also able to offer alternative billing formats. So if you are a customer dealing with some level of impairment, we can offer your bills and our communications to you in several different formats. We can do Braille, we can do large print, we can do an audio CD, we can do a CD-ROM. It does take typically one to two bill cycles for us to adjust the mailing, but we do have options because we want to make our service as inclusive as possible. Excellent. So um, with this uh, service, is there any particular type of box that they need to get to make sure that they get that? Or Well, that's a, that's a great question. So um, for the text-to-speech service, um, and, and, you know, I'm Again, at verizon.com slash accessibility, you can see there, there's other features that I'm not talking about, like, you know, closed captioning, descriptive video services, the big button remote, you know, there's there's a lot of other things. But if you are, um, if your set-top box isn't compatible, a lot of them are, you know, we, uh, there's things that we can do with that. That's not a problem. If, if, if you're interested in the text-to-speech feature, and uh, you want to check it out, again, you can call, and we'll just start working on the compatibility of your box. But most, most boxes are compatible with this, so it's, it's not an issue for many customers, but if it is, it's something we can take care of. That's great. So that's wonderful to have that service available. All right, so I guess we'll go over to the wireless side of things. Uh, I take it uh, Verizon is... Uh, still very compatible with uh, the popular devices that many of the blind and low vision folks use, like the uh, iPhone platform, you know, iOS, and uh, the Android devices. So uh, what is Verizon Verizon offering with uh, those devices? Absolutely. So um, we have a great internal web accessibility team, and that's not only makes sure that the web page our Verizon web page is able to be used by folks like like you're saying that use screen readers or things like that. Um, but we also go through a review of the Verizon app. We're very careful to try and make sure that you know what we're offering out there is very easy to use. Now, as far as accessibility device features and apps, um, I'm just pulling up that page right now. So, um, you know, we have recommendations on this particular page about the kinds of things, the the kinds of keywords to use in iTunes or Google Play um, for people that are visually impaired, also for people that are deaf or hearing impaired or dealing with some mobility or dexterity impairments, uh, also cognitive impairments. Uh, and also, the the same page has a clearinghouse of information on um, how to find out the accessibility features on your device. Even though we don't directly 
manufacture any devices ourselves, we do have centralized information on finding out the accessibility features of Android phones, the iPhone, the Windows phone, and BlackBerry. Um, and again, as I mentioned previously, uh, if you need more help and you need to dig into that more, the National Accessibility Customer Service Center is available for you as well. Great. And what sort of uh, plans is uh, Verizon offering these days? Well, uh, we were happy to get back into the unlimited game. So that is an option now. Um, we offer you know, a great price on the nation's leading network. Um, we're very proud of our 4G LTE network. It consistently performs best in the country according to root metrics. And not only that, um, over the long term, we have plans to grow into 5G, plans to be first to market to 5G. And I, I know that we're focusing on accessible services, and I think this is a particularly relevant case because we see this as a new facilitator of uh, a, the next wave of accessible services. Just as a point of comparison for your listeners, um, the 4G LTE network is really good for most things that you want to do on the Internet. Um, you can get high-quality video, audio. Uh, you're able to browse the web, no problem. Um, the typical speed of 4G LTE is 12 megabits per second. Um, 5G is going to be a massive game-changer in the capacity of the network because on the low end, we're seeing speeds of a gigabyte. So when you talk about... Um, 5G, you're talking about a enormously fast amount of data and a very, very quick response time, very, very low latency is what it's called. So our belief is that this is going to facilitate the next wave of accessible technologies. Now, it's not something that's available at market yet, so I realize I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but it is something that we're actively testing in many markets. It's actually going to be first offered as a home Internet solution because the antennas aren't quite small enough to be able to fit in a phone. But when we get there, uh, we plan on being first to market in 5G as well. Oh, that's great. That'll, that'll be interesting when 5G comes along. I know a lot of companies are going to try to jump in that. So. That's great. Absolutely. And, you know, we're, we're in conversations with, um, for example, we know that many people that are blind and low vision are very interested in these indoor navigation apps. Um, we've been in touch with companies like Wayfinder, uh, which are, they're actively, if you might, you might have heard, they're actively in London in the train stations uh, testing out this technology, seeing if through a system of beacons and then a narrated navigation app that can help people with vision impairments get through the train station without assistance. Um, and when you think about um, the way that, you know, a lot, of, a lot of impairments have been explained to me, and I think it's a really elegant and beautiful way to look at it, is that any level of impairment is just basically a person being deprived of certain kinds of information. Um, and things like Wayfinder, um, could really change the game in terms of allowing people who are dealing with some level of impairment just to enhance their independence and do things without assistance. Things that a lot of people take for granted, but you know, as folks who are living with vision impairment know, getting on the subway and taking the train somewhere is much easier said than done. Um, and with this kind of contextualized indoor information, um, we feel like 
the new new a new phase and a new level of independence for people living with impairments is really going to be facilitated. Um, in our conversations with Wayfinder, when we talk with some of these indoor navigation apps, they're particularly interested in 5G and working with us on this because they find Bluetooth, although that's the kind of thing that you know has been tooled around with in the past, is too unreliable, and particularly when there's heavy loads during a time like rush hour or something like that, that the network just isn't built to, built to handle that kind of thing. And with the data capacity and ultra-high response time of 5G, uh, we feel like that's going to be the right tool for that job. Yeah, that's very interesting on, on how all of that's changing, uh, you know, for the blind and visually impaired and anybody with disabilities to have full independence in getting around. So is there anything else that uh, you'd like to talk about that we haven't covered yet? Well, uh, again, Larry, I just say that I'd really appreciate the opportunity. I'm going to be at the convention next weekend, so I look forward to meeting a lot of you. I'll be out and about, you know, out there, and my information is very easy to find. If anybody has any questions, you can feel free to email me at Z-A-C-H-A-R-Y dot B-A-S-T-I-A-N at Verizon.com. That's Zachary dot Bastion at Verizon.com. And I'm always happy to talk about talk to folks about their individual experiences, their particular concerns with Verizon or communications in general. And I just look forward to meeting a lot of you, and I'm, I'm proud that you know my job includes supporting organizations like ACB, which do such a wonderful job at advocating for this important community. Excellent. Well, thank you for being on ACB Radio with me today, and I look forward to seeing you around the convention as well. Thanks a lot, Larry. I appreciate it. Thank you. This is Larry Trimble with ACB Radio. Okay, let me stop recording. So is that good? Here is the agenda for Wednesday, July 5th. In the Rose Ballroom, beginning at 8 a.m., entertainment, Karen Idol. Houston, Texas, 8.30 a.m., Invocation, Michael Smitherman, Jackson, Mississippi, Pledge of Allegiance, 2017 DKM, first-timers, J.R. Kinnison, Bremerton, Washington, Graham Steele, Riverside, Wyoming, 8.35 a.m., ACB Business, ACB Sponsor Recognitions, Marjorie Beeman, Advertising and Sponsorship Coordinator, Austin, Texas. Constitution and Bylaws, John Huffman, Chair, Indianapolis, Indiana. Resolutions, Mark Reichert, Chair, Arlington, Virginia. Presiding Officer, Carla Rushevel, ACB Treasurer, Louisville, Kentucky. 9.15 a.m., National Conference and Convention Report, Janet Dickelman, Chair, Convention Committee, St. Paul, Minnesota. 9.35 a.m., Weathering the Changing Landscape of Rehabilitation Services in a Post-WIOA Era. Moderator, Anthony Tony Stevens, ACB Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs, Alexandria, Virginia. Panelists, Clark Rashfall, Program Manager, Public Policy, National Industries for the Blind, Alexandria, Virginia. Mark Reichert, Director, Public Policy, and Strategic Initiatives, Washington, D.C., 
and representative of the National Council of State Agencies for the Blind, NCSAB. Invited. 10.15 a.m. break. 10.30 a.m. National Advocacy and Legislative Update. Anthony Tony Stevens, Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs, Alexandria, Virginia. 10.55 a.m. update from APH, Dr. Craig Meter, President, American Printing House for the Blind, Louisville, Kentucky. 11.05 a.m. report on the ACB walk and auction. Dan Spoon, ACB Board of Directors, Orlando, Florida. Dan Dillon, Hermitage, Tennessee, co-chairs ACB Resource Development Committee. Donna Brown, walk chair, Romney, West Virginia, and Kim Hebert, Chair, ACB Auction Committee, Lafayette, Louisiana. 11.30 a.m., Treasurer's Report, Carla Rushable, Louisville, Kentucky. 11.45 a.m., ACBES Report, Reverend Michael Garrett, Chair, ACB Enterprises and Services, Missouri City, Texas. 11.55 a.m., Announcements. And that concludes the agenda for Wednesday, July 5th. Good morning, good morning. Welcome to Wednesday, July 5th, 2017. We are live at the Golden Nugget Casino Resort here in Sparks, Nevada, just outside of Reno. And we're going to get going with today's general session, as you just heard the agenda read by Debbie there. Thank you very much, Debbie. And I'll go ahead and bring up the house for the pre-entertainment. I'm going to run over and grab a recorder out of the other room where the Sister Power Breakfast was going on. That recording will be made available for download and replay later on this week. Um, been a bit short-handed this year, so I've been doing a lot of stuff on my own. <laughs> uh, so anyway, we'll get uh, all the shows, you know, all the stuff that we did this week edited um, on Friday and made available by next week, everything should be up on the website, acbradio.org slash convention 2017. And we'll hope you enjoy it. All right, let's go ahead and bring up the house. And here's the pre-entertainment.
morning, everyone. Good morning. Welcome to, let's see if I can figure out what day it is, Wednesday, July 5th, to the ACB convention. I want to thank our entertainment for this morning, Karen Itell from Houston, Texas. Thank you very much. Michael Smitherman? Okay. <laughs> All right. To, um, to open our morning session with an invocation, it's my privilege to introduce to you our exhibits coordinator, Michael Smitherman from Jackson, Mississippi. Would you bow your heads with me? Our gracious Heavenly Father, as we assemble in Reno, Nevada this day, help us to be mindful that the decisions we make will impact many others. But more than that, help us to come out of this meeting, our convention united, and let the past be the past and move forward in a positive way. We thank you for this beautiful day and the weather that we've had this week and our holy, in the holy name of our Lord. Amen. <laughs> to do our invocation, we have our DKM first-timers, J.R. Kennison from where? Well, I knew it was Washington State, but what city? <laughs> what city? Um, Peninsula, Peninsula Council, Council of the Blind. Blind. Is that Bremerton, maybe? Bremerton, yeah. Ooh, I got it right. Do I get a point? <laughs> and we have Graham Steele who is the president of the Wyoming Council of the Blind to lead us in the Pledge of Allegiance. If you okay, there we are. Please stand. All right. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the public for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you, Thank you first timers. Thank you to our first timers. And we'll be honoring them this evening at 545 in the President's Suite, 2951, for, um, for the DKM program. So, and if I didn't get that right, I'm sure Kenneth is going to be at a mic in about two minutes, so he'll correct me. But <laughs> Oh, I, I said that the DKM reception is this evening at 545. <gasps> I was wrong, and he is correcting me. Okay. <laughs> 530 in 2951. Thanks, Kenneth. <laughs> All right, if you're not awake, you will be soon because I'm going to introduce to you our sponsorship coordinator, Marjorie Beeman. 
Good morning, everyone. I'm glad you're still awake and at it because it's been long. Okay, our first sponsors would be our Double Diamond sponsors, 25,000, AT&T, ACB Radio Streaming, Google, ACB Conference Banquet, Microsoft, ACB Radio Worldwide Broadcast, Banda Pharmaceutical, ACB Educational and Recreational Events, and ACB Brenda Dillon Memorial Walk. Give them a hand. Diamond Sponsor, 20,000 General Motors Audiovisual Services. Give them a hand. Emerald Sponsors, 15,000. Comcast Volunteer Services. J.P. Morgan Chase & Company Performing Arts Showcase. And ACB Sparks of Enthusiasm Auction. Sprint Information Desk. Uber Communication Center and Newspaper, Verizon Conference Registration. Give them a hand. Ruby Sponsors, 10,000. Adobe, ACB Brenda Dillon Memorial Walk, Audio Described Movie and Recreation Zone, Amazon, ACB Cafe, Humanware Official Conference Program, Regal Cinema, Kids Explorer Club, and ACB Brenda Dillon Memorial Walk. BFO, official sponsor of all general sessions. Give them a hand. Our next sponsor, 5,000, Charter Communications, ACB Life Member Reception, Facebook International Culture Exchange Day, Mackler Degeneration Foundation, ACB Brenda Dillon Memorial Walk, and Low Viz Guide Indoor App, National Association of Broadcasters General Operations Support, National Industries for the Blind, ACB Marketplace, Buell Fund, Brenda Dillon Memorial Walk, and Recreation Zone. Give them a hand. Topaz Sponsor, 3,000, ACB Lines, Scholarship Student Travel. Give them a hand. Coral Sponsors, 2,000, Randolph Shepherd Vendors of America, Scholarship Dinner and Luncheon for Outstanding Blind Students, Cox Communications Incorporated, Student Future ACB Leader of Young Professionals, Spark Therapeutics Incorporated, ACB Cafe Day, July 2, and Information Access Workshop. Track Phone, ACB Cafe Day, July the 3rd, and Advocacy Training Workshop. DQ Systems Incorporated, Derwood K. McDaniel First Timers Reception. Give them a hand. Pearl Sponsors. Disability Relations Group, ACB Cafe Day, July 4th. Discover Technologies Affiliate and Chapter Development Seminar. HIMS Incorporated Luncheon to Recognize Outstanding Blind Students. Library Users of America, NLS Talking Book Narrator. 
Bomb USA Incorporated, ACB Cafe Day, July the 5th. Give them a hand. And then our other sponsors were $100, Carl Richardson, Boston, Massachusetts, or Bridington, Massachusetts. And that came in after I announced those yesterday. It's never too late. Then our uh, gold sponsor, not a gold, they didn't tell me what they are, but the $50 sponsors, they didn't give me the name of it, silver sponsors. It took me a while. Michael Alvarez, Artis Bazin, Robert Bradley, Donna Brown, Carolyn Burley, Jason Castanova, Castaway, Brian Charleston, Norman Delkey, Christopher Devin, Rita Delick, Paul Edwards, Katie Frederick, Michael Garrett, Peggy Garrett, Marion Hasslerud, Kathy Holly, Mandy Holly, Judy Jackson, Jim Jarek, Terrell Jones, John Lipsy, Jane Lund, Michael Moran, Marilyn Pico, Chris Prentice, you have to forgive me. I've never heard some of the names pronounced, but I met some of you at the airport. Bruce Ratke, Herbert Rado, Alice Richard, Bonnie Robinson, Stephen Robertson, Edwin Rumsey, Marilyn Sanders, have more. Perry Sanders, Kathy Schmidt Whitaker, Donna Seliker, Jeff Tom, Leslie Tom, Albert Travers, Carol Travers, Larry Turnbull, Richard Young. And with all of our sponsors, I think this year we will probably be over $300,000. I turn the program over to Madam President. With news like that, Marjorie, you can have as much time as you need. Thank you so much. That is fantastic. All right, I'm going to recognize the chair of our Constitution and Bylaws Committee, John Huffman, for further business. We need a stage left. <laughs> Madam President, I do have a question. We have two proposed amendments to come for second reading, which means that after one is uh, read, debate would normally follow. But uh, one of them is much longer than the other. It's four pages and change. Might take me 20 minutes just to read it again. Uh, <laughs> uh, the other is one page and change, and I'm wondering if you have a preference which one I proceed with. Does the body have any question about which one I'm going to pick. <laughs> I, I think, however, in order to continue, well, um, if, if you, do you believe that it doesn't matter, or do you believe that we need to do the... Well, numerically, the longer one is first. Yes. But um, as they are related... I would be prepared to take them in any order you specify. Okay. Um, is that Ray asking? Is your mic on? Secretary's mic? Make sure 
you push the button on the invitation, right? Or come over here. <laughs> I want to move on, Ray, so make a decision. <laughs> you can come over here if you want. I'm six feet away. You can just come over here. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. I, 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 am just, I just want to make a point that I believe that you need to do the, the first one numerically first because if that doesn't pass, then the second one's kind of irrelevant because it's, it would seem to me. Now, I'm certainly willing to be corrected. I don't know what John McCann thinks but, uh, or others, but uh, I think you need to do the first one first because if it doesn't pass, it almost is moot to do the second one because, the, uh, because of the fact the first one kind of codifies the uh, procedures we've been using. And if you don't pass that first one, that second one, as far as computing the amount of dues and all that and notifying the affiliates, that doesn't really uh, matter. Okay. So I think you need to take them first. All right. Like the old show right. used to say, because you so, asked for it. <laughs> is someone asking for the floor? Okay. So my ruling is we are going to do both constitutional bylaw amendments tomorrow morning so that we have time. We don't have to be rushed. So that means John, Very good. John can stay and visit with us, but he's not going to talk <laughs> on the mic. I'm out of here. But he's going to share it with his colleague, Mark Reichert, chair of our resolutions committee, and we're going to do resolutions. Good morning, one and all. How many people have had coffee this morning? <laughs> Clearly not enough. Not enough people, not enough coffee. Madam President, this will be, if they act on it, 2017-07. See, he can be taught, and I'm so flexible. I, I, I'm giving you numbers right up front, just like you all have been demanding. I'm just, what a guy. This is about Amtrak. Uh, here we go. Whereas many people with disabilities, including those who are blind or who have low vision, travel on Amtrak, and whereas the use of smartphone apps has become a popular means of transacting business and whereas it is possible to purchase a ticket with a disability discount either at an Amtrak station by calling Amtrak or by visiting the website but not through the Amtrak iOS app and whereas the Amtrak iOS app allows for several other Disability options, including, oh, excuse me, allows for other discount options, including senior, veterans, student, and AAA discounts to be applied. And whereas the iOS app is very accessible in all other uh, aspects. Now, therefore, be it resolved that this organization strongly urges Amtrak to include the disability discount as one of the options when purchasing a ticket using a smartphone app. And we have our bags packed and uh, recommend a due pass on ISO move. Is there a second? Hearing seconds. Is there discussion? Hearing none, and there is no one seeking the microphone. All those in favor of this resolution say aye. aye. Opposed? Let's take a trip. Thank you. 
We're just chugging along. <laughs> Next one is the best I could do on short notice for comedy there. I needed another coffee, too. Uh, this will be 2017 provided you guys wake up and do something with it. This is about the vending program. <clears throat> Whereas the Trump administration has proposed to sell public lands as a means uh, to cover budget shortfalls. And whereas many business enterprise program uh, what is this? roadside rest areas are on public lands. And whereas in its budget proposal, the administration has stated its support for privatization of highway rest areas, which would be devastating to hundreds of blind vendors. Now, therefore, be it resolved that this organization, along with its affiliate, the Randall Shepherd Vendors of America, RSVA, work with the U.S. Congress to ensure that current and future business enterprise program roadside rest areas are protected. We recommend to do pass, and I so move. Is there a second? All right. Is there discussion? All right. No, no one's seeking the microphone. All those in favor of this resolution, say aye. aye. Opposed? Thank you, Resolutions Committee. Ladies and gentlemen, this will be 2017-09. Wouldn't it be fun if we could set a record for the number of resolutions you all adopt in the shortest period of time? <laughs> if we held these votes in the elevators of the hotel while we were doing this, I expect the debate would go even faster. This is, this is a tough crowd. You guys... Thank you. Our lips are cold. If yours are cold, what do you think of mine? 2719. Uh, hold it, hold it, hold it. Don't do that to me. Here we go. This is about paratransit. Whereas federal funding, federally funded paratransit service providers make the distinction between, in quotes, curb to curb and, in quotes, door to door service. Often, uh, preferring curb-to-curb curb on the mistaken belief that curb-to-curb curb is more economical and efficient. And whereas many people with disabilities, including people with sensory and cognitive impairments, experience difficulty with a curb-to-curb uh, curb approach, either due to the nature of their disability or to the unique uh, the uniquely challenging exigencies of particular paths of travel. And whereas the provision of door-to-door -door service for those passengers who need it cannot be left to the ad hoc exercise of paratransit drivers' uninformed discretion. By golly. Now, therefore, be it resolved, etc., that this organization instructs its transportation committee to work with state and local affiliates to ensure that local uh, entities responsible for paratransit services adopt a door-to-door -door service policy, period. And, of course, we recommend a do pass and nice move. 
motion has been made and seconded to um, adopt this resolution. Is there any discussion? Madam President, Doug Powell from Virginia. Um, I recognize Doug Powell. I'm speaking again. Uh, well, I'm speaking for an amendment. I, I hope it's friendly. Um, it's debatable whether it's economically uh, less expensive or not. So I would prefer just dropping that phrase. I think the, the uh, I think the resolution is just as strong without that phrase. So I think we would uh, recognize the uh, take the word mistaken out, and we'll just leave it on the belief they clearly use it as a rationale. We don't have to debate whether we agree or disagree. Um, so we can certainly take the word mistaken uh, belief out as a friendly amendment. Thank you. Thank you. Is I hear <laughs> I hear Jeff Tom coming to a mic. Okay. I want to debate that point. I really would prefer to keep the word mistaken in because I do think it is more. It is less. Well, it is more economical and really efficient to have a door-to-door -door policy, and I think the whole one of the whole one of the important rationales for this resolution is that paratransit providers are using a mistaken belief to adopt an erroneous policy. So I would not like to see that word mistaken removed. Okay. Well, I've asked uh, Mark to reread that clause. Just so. so Okay, another, okay, what they, the, the, goes on and on about, they want a curb-to-curb, -curb, not a door-to-door, -door. on the mistaken, be, hold up, why is it doing that? Do, 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 do. Preferring a curb-to-curb -curb, uh, approach on the mistaken belief that curb-to-curb -curb is more economical. Well, and efficient, it also says. And the makers of the resolution who I'm standing next to um, are in agreement with the drafters of the resolution, I should say. Therefore, this is Doug Powell. I, I, uh, I make a motion to amend it uh, in Virginia. Uh, when, when they have to stop and go door to door, they stop. They uh, take uh, orange cones out of the back of their uh, vans. They put it in front of the van and in the back of the van. And then they get the uh, person out to take them to the door. And uh, then they have to come back and pick up the cones and put them back in the back yeah. of the thing. And it takes more time, which is economical. Madam President. Madam President, Pat Sheehan. And I'm going to recognize our resolutions chair. I think. The, the only thing I would say is that this, yeah. regardless of, regardless of okay, the merits of this. Re that's, that's true. Madam Chair. Great. Then we're done talking. Yeah, there's no second on the motion. I recognize Pat Sheehan. Doug, I, wor I work in the same paratransit uh, industry in Washington, D.C. that you take, too, and you are absolutely wrong. It is less expensive to do curb-to-curb, -curb, I mean door-to-door -door than curb-to-curb. -curb. There is data that backs it up, and the, uh, the transportation for paratransit is much more efficient with a door-to-door -door service than the curb-to-curb -curb service. There's information that we can supply to back that up, not only here, but elsewhere in the United States. So I understand the process, but at a trip where paratransit is 50, 55, $60 a trip, if a trip is missed, they have to send another vehicle to pick that person up. So I would um, uh, argue with you, Doug, that your facts are incorrect, and I think we need to go with this resolution as it was drafted. Thank you. Thank you. 
in the uh, interest, it, with that data in mind, I will rescind my uh, motion. Okay, Thank you, Doug. All it right. can be done. Is there anyone else with any point of information? Otherwise, I'd like to move toward the vote. Okay. Hearing, hearing none, all those in favor of this resolution say aye. Aye. Opposed? Thank you. The, the resolution is adopted. Well, that was fun. Um, <laughs> I obviously was under the mistaken belief that that would be fine. And it is because it was adopted. Oh, take my wife, please. <laughs> Guys, all right, um, maybe people have lost at Kino too much since here. Maybe that's it. <laughs> this is about um, something called autonomous vehicles. I think some of you may be interested in that. And whereas a number of autonomous, uh, autonomous, let me start that again. Whereas a number of automated Automotive and technology companies include, but are not limited to, see part of the problem is my little fingers are freezing and I'm not kidding. It's, 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 <laughs> I've never read Braille with frostbitten fingers before. Uh, <laughs> see now they like that, they thought that was funny, I'm not kidding. Okay. Whereas a number of automotive and technology companies, comma, including but not limited to Uber, Google, General, Mo General, General Motors, Local Motors, uh, and Local Motors are developing autonomous vehicles, also known as driverless vehicles, and that's in parens, and whereas the American Council of the Blind, as well as a number of its state and special interest affiliates and members, have actively partnered with companies developing autonomous vehicles for the purpose of ensuring that the, that the access needs of people who are blind or visually impaired are met. And whereas a number of other technology companies have already developed, already deployed, and are continuing to develop personal wayfinding technologies offering personal environmental navigation to people with vision loss, and whereas the convergence of autonomous vehicles and personal wayfinding technologies offers the potential for an entirely new and accessible transportation experience for people who are blind or visually impaired. Now, therefore, be it resolved that this organization commends the work of its officers, directors, and staff and members for their efforts to hold makers of autonomous vehicles accountable for ensuring the full accessibility of such vehicles to people who are blind or visually impaired. And be it further resolved that this organization directs its officers, directors, and staff to uh, uncompromisingly advocate for autonomous vehicle accessibility while also enlisting 
the makers of autonomous vehicles as champions to partner with ACB to surmount other known and potential roadblocks, such as overbroad state driver's licensing schemes, which may impede or bar people with vision loss from having the full enjoyment and benefit of autonomous vehicles. And be it further resolved that ACB calls upon the developers of autonomous vehicles to partner with manufacturers of personal wayfinding technology so that these two game-changing technologies will be on course to provide people with vision loss with a fully uh, integrated travel experience. And of course, we recommend a do pass, and I so move. Is there a second? I heard several. Is there any discussion? Hearing none. All those in favor, say aye. aye. Opposed? Thank you. I think we can't wait till this technology is a reality. It's going to be amazing. I've actually ridden in an autonomous car, and it was quite an experience. Um, they told me not to touch the wheel. That was the one thing. I sat behind the wheel, and they told me, don't touch the wheel, okay? Whatever you do, don't touch the wheel. <laughs> so. All right, you guys. So here comes the next resolution. Before I do that, let me do my uh, impersonation of a, uh, of a hybrid vehicle, all right? This is my impersonation of a quiet car. You ready? Here it goes. <laughs> Pretty cool, huh? Pretty, pretty cool, Mark. Pretty cool. I've been, can I tell you how long I've been practicing that? You just, I mean, it, it's hard to get your throat, you know, clear it. Oh, tough critics, tough critics. Don't give up your day job. Must have been a Pomerantz. Uh. Oh, boy. You assume that I have a day job. I mean, I did before I got here, but uh, <laughs> uh, I'll be operating a blind vending stand in Kankakee probably before the year is out. I don't know. Kankakee's not bad. Especially if it's a roadside vending facility. Now that we've protected them all, we should be fine. Yes. This is another uh, autonomous vehicle one, and this is more policy-oriented than perhaps the other one. But here we go. So we might as well do them together. Whereas the U.S. Congress is beginning to consider uh, an array of legislative measures to, uh, it intended, to intended to effectively respond to and support continued innovation in the autonomous vehicle industry. And whereas, while these measures are being crafted even as of this writing, it is becoming increasingly clear that much of the emphasis in such legislation is on maintaining the status quo of state control over licensing decisions on the one hand and uh, granting industry considerable flexibility, incentives, and exemptions from a variety of federal requirements on the other hand. And whereas unavailability of 100% autonomous vehicles on the current or immediately uh, emerging market is being proffered as a rationale for 
deferring consideration of any federal inter intervention at this time to ensure that autonomous vehicle user interfaces allow people who are blind or visually impaired to fully benefit from this exciting technology. And whereas in the context of these federal policy discussions, the cross-disability community uh, emphasis seems to be on physical accessibility to autonomous vehicles, particularly to fleets of public transportation or private uh, ride-hailing services. And whereas advocates for people who are blind or visually impaired have been told by such cross-disability spokespeople that the allegedly more imminent deployment of autonomous uh, public transportation and ride-hailing uh, vehicles warrants immediate action to foster physical accessibility now, while user interface accessibility is a more remote objective and a less uh, urgent priority. And whereas it has been the vision loss community's hard-learned lesson over decades of experience that failing to address technology accessibility at the earliest possible opportunity, both in terms of the design of such technology and in terms of the, te of the relationship of such technology with public policy, uh, that that uh, results in profound disadvantage to, if not outright exclusion of people who are blind or visually impaired. And whereas even assuming the availability of 100% autonomous vehicles, there is a very real worry that state licensing requirements may impose outmoded or avoidable restrictions on the, uh, whoops, on, go ahead, on the use of autonomous vehicles by people with vision loss, such as possible requirements that an autonomous vehicle owner operator must have sufficient vision to manage a catastrophic uh, or even intermittent vehicle failure. Now, therefore, be it resolved, et cetera, that this organization communicate to proponents of autonomous vehicle legislation currently under consideration in both the U.S. Senate and House of Representatives that, this, that the American Council of the Blind will voice its deep disappointment with, if not opposition to, any package of legislative propo uh, proposals that grants flexibility, incentives, and or exemptions to the autonomous vehicle industry, but that fails to at least uh, initiate a meaningful process with measurable outcomes for establishing user interface accessibility requirements on autonomous vehicle manufacturers. And be it further resolved that this organization urge the U.S. Congress to guide states in the exercise of their traditional roles in setting basic licensing requirements so as to honor the federal constitutional right to travel which people who are blind or visually impaired must be allowed to enjoy on an equal basis with our sighted fellow citizens, period. And of course, we recommend a due pass, and I so move. All right, motion's been made and seconded to adopt this resolution. Is there discussion? 
All right. Okay. Karen is at a mic. I can hear her, but the mic is not working in the aisle. Nope. All right. Um, check, check. Karen, thank yes. you. Thank you. Someone, someone um, brought a mic. Okay. This is Karen Campbell speaking against. Um, I think they do need to have flexibility um, with regard to the regulations and that. It's not um, if technology is going to fail. It is when technology fails. Uh, because believe me, it will happen. And what's going to happen when uh, it does fail and you've got someone blind or visually impaired driving this thing, you're just going to have a lot more problems than you're going to solve. So I'd like to see this voted down. Thank you. All right. I believe... Um, our resolutions chair wants to respond. Well, the only thing I want to say is that I, I, I mean, I certainly agree with the, you on, I, on, on the, the fact that technology fails as someone who reads resolutions and sees my technology failing regularly. Um, I can appreciate that. What this resolution is saying is not that industry doesn't deserve flexibility or that there aren't all of these things that need to be done. What this really does is put us in a better negotiation position, frankly, not even so much with industry, but with folks on Capitol Hill who, unlike our industry friends that Eric and Tony and others have been developing relationships with, don't really understand our issues. And unfortunately, in this environment, there seems to be a real interest in letting, uh, you know, uh, g giving lots of flexibility to, to, to business but not a related um, emphasis on making sure that our interests are protected. So all that this resolution ultimately does is say, whatever package of stuff that those folks on Capitol Hill develop, uh, if they're not talking about user interface accessibility at this important early stage, then we've got a real problem with it. Yes. This is Rick Morin. All right. Rick, is this related to the resolution? Yes, it is. Okay, thank you. Um, I know this resolution is very, very carefully worded. However, I am deeply bothered by any language in there that talks about uh, differentiating between disability communities. Now, I'm sure what you put in there was probably, somebody probably said that to somebody. However, uh, there are people in wheelchairs in this room who uh, need access. Um, I know for a fact that in the area of Uber and Lyft and that whole paratransit thing, uh, the industry is not supporting people in wheelchairs. So, uh, you know, if anything, we should be at an equal par, yes. but any notion that anybody is trying to assign one a higher priority than the other, I, I think is a slippery slope, and I would deeply, or I would very, very uh, much hope that we would not use that kind of language in the future. Thank you. Madam President, uh, this, this is Janelle I'm, Edwards. I'm going to recognize the resolutions chair for a comment. 
and then I'll so be I'm back. sorry, Rick, are, are, are you wanting us to delete it, or are you simply commenting to be careful in the future about how we talk about this? <laughs> You're not making a motion that we actually change this resolution. You're just concerned about what, making sure we watch our tone about the sensitivity I, of other I mean, if, if I, I don't want to hang up the resolution, because I think it gets to the right place at the end, but if there is a way to take that that part of the, you know, of, of language out of the resolution, yes, I'd like to make, make a motion that we do so. So let, then if, if there's actually, well, is there, sorry, go ahead. Is there, is there no, a no, motion? He made a motion, sorry. Um, you, he just made a motion to take, to take that language away. Is there a second? Okay, there's a second, so, so I'd like to speak I will, I will um, recognize Mark in his capacity, you know, he's going to speak against. Well, and maybe maybe this isn't in my capacity. Not in your capacity. As You're just you. Chair at all, just as a <laughs> exactly. uh, uh, overweight policy hack <laughs> in Washington. So I I see this situation as being almost exactly, frankly, frighteningly similar to at least two, if not more, situations that our community has been in. The, I won't bore you with all the details. The most recent one was something called the ADA Amendments Act, the Americans with Disabilities Amendments Act, which was all about. The, the entire disability community advocating before Congress about how we needed to overturn or get past unfortunate rulings by the Supreme Court, et cetera, et cetera. Quite frankly, yes, were there folks who are blind or visually impaired who were somewhat caught up in that? Sure, but our community really had the least uh, at, you know, to, to risk in that, in that uh, or the, 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 the smallest little dog, guide dog, in that fight, right? And the reality of it is we stood shoulder to shoulder with everybody else in the disability community to give our support, et cetera. The only thing we had been asking in that process from 2005 through whatever it was, 2008, when we finally got the thing passed, uh, was that we tried to address the issue of website accessibility. All we wanted to say in that thing is, hey, if you're going to amend the ADA, if that's what, really what you're going to do, you're going to amend the Americans with Disabilities Act, you should really address website accessibility. And you know what those folks said to us? No, we need to make a priority of our issues first, and you all, that's too risky, it's too dangerous, it's too much of a risk, we're not going to do it now, you need to work with the Department of Justice. Well, that, guys, was 2008. How well has that strategy worked for us? And here we are in 2017, and I'm hearing exactly the same tone, the same comments, which is all about saying, you people need to wait. And to be completely honest with you, I'm really fed up with it. I really, really am. Just, just one I'll last. recognize someone speaking in favor of the amendment. Is there anyone? All right. Rick, you were speaking. One, I'll give you one minute. No, all I've got to say is there are, you know, there are people in wheelchairs and mobility devices that cannot gain access to certain uh, automotive devices, period. And, uh, and, and, we, and, and pardon? I, yeah. I believe that this resolution recognizes that fact. Correct. We're not degrading okay. their right to access, but we are protecting our right to be part of the process at the time when we can actually implement change rather than... Um, 
trying to do it as an afterthought, and we know where that gets us, and I'm sorry, I should have acknowledged that I was making a comment <laughs> going on and on. I apologize. Madam President, this is Gretchen Mowney. Um, Gretchen, are you wishing to speak in support of the, oh, no, or I in thought, opposition? I thought Mr. Moran just spoke in support of it. I was going to speak in negation. In, in against, against the? Yes. Okay, go ahead. Thank you. Um, so I have been a disability rights advocate for, I guess, eight years now and serve on my local disabilities commission and many other things and so very much support all people with disabilities. But I feel that the blind can be left out and that we, we are here as the American Council of the Blind, not the AIPD. Um, and uh, American Association of People with Disabilities. And we uh, are in a position to gain a lot with these driverless cars. Um, there are currently, I'm not saying it's easy for a person who uses a wheelchair to get a vehicle they can drive, but I have a lot of friends that do have them that use wheelchairs, and they can. And so when these driverless cars are manufactured, they're gonna be able to get them just as easily which isn't really that easy, but still, as they can get a car that they can drive now. Uh, but what there is a lot of talk against is making these accessible for blind people because they want to have, there's a lot of uh, advocates on the other side that think they need to have a sighted driver in the car. So we need to stand up and say that this needs to be focused on, this is really important. I went blind 10 years ago and missed driving like crazy. And so I think that we need to stand up for the blind here in this. And I think that people who use wheelchairs, super important, but that we gotta, gotta be here for ourselves here. And thank you. Thank you. Is there anyone wishing to speak in opposition? There is no one available. Um, so I, if, if the body agrees, we will move to a vote on the amendment. There was an amendment. Oh, this is the vote on his amendment. I see. Yes, there is an amendment so, okay. on the floor. Um, so this is and that would remove the language about people with disabilities. Mark, would you like to specifically clarify? So if I were to read it all, that you'd be here a little while. I mean, I'm, I'll do it if right. you want. No, uh, but there's I, I just, several different, to, hold on, there's several different places yeah. that talk about the fact that we are in this dynamic in negotiation with other groups with disabilities one or two of which may have been mentioned on the floor today, uh, that um, seem to be wanting to, to push our issues sort of to the back burner. That's, those are, that's the only time when we right. sort of reference other folks with disabilities. Okay. I will withdraw the amendment, but there are blind people in wheelchairs, and it's by the grace of God that we are not in wheelchairs. Remember that, please. Under understood. All right, is it acceptable to those who seconded to he withdraws his his Amendment. All right. Amendment has been withdrawn. So now, we're now we're moving to the resolution itself. Um, the resolution Madam itself will proceed to a vote. Madam Chair, this is Janelle uh -huh. Edwards. Um, and th there was in one of the resolve clauses where it, rep when it was talking about legislators and it talked about deep disappointment. <clears throat> I wondered. I, I wondered. That, does that not perhaps weaken it as far as just deleting the deep disappointment portion? So just to clarify, the phrase says, uh, without reading it 
again, uh, uh, express our deep disappointment with, if not outright opposition to. Yes. Because I think we want to make sure that Tony and company have the flexibility to be able to do what needs to. There's, you know, people in Washington get a little excited about the O word uh, if you're opposing something as opposed to saying, look, we're concerned about it. We appreciate wanting to move forward nevertheless. These are, these are the kind of decisions that the, our national office needs to make. Um, so, so our position is that we oppose it, but it's just more politically correct and what we need to do to say deep disappointment. So, Madam President, Go if ahead. the body were to adopt this resolution, what you're saying is that should the Congress move forward with a package of legislative changes that do a bunch of this stuff, uh, particularly if they give all kinds of benefits to industry, but we do not see anything having that we think is meaningful around user interfaces that we would at a minimum express our deep disappointment with, if not our opposition to such legislation. Okay. Um, is there Chairman. any other clarification or anyone wishing to speak? Madam President, Frank Pre Welty. Are you speaking in support or? I'm speaking in favor of the resolution. resolution. Go ahead. Simply put, those of you in this room have one question to ask yourself. Do you want to get the right, do, do you want to protect your right to operate a vehicle or don't you? Because there are people who would be very happy to make sure we don't get that right because of bigotry. I think this resolution makes it very clear what we stand for and that we're not going to be put in the back of the bus this time around. Literally. Vote for this resolution and keep it strong. Madam Chairman. Uh, um, I'll recognize um, if Bill, whichever Bill, person identifies themselves. Bill Blyle. <laughs> All right, Bill. The people who said that you needed a sighted driver in an autonomous vehicle to ensure safety simply have it wrong. I think the current thinking is that it's better to have an autonomous vehicle that doesn't have interference from a sighted driver simply because they're too inattentive when the emergency comes up. Madam President. I identify yourself. Oh, yes, I, I apologize. Madam President, this is Gretchen Mowney. And you've already spoken? I spoke on an amendment before. This okay, is different. I'll give you one minute. Uh, thank you. I would like to propose an amendment to remove the language deep disappointment and uh, have it just say that we will, at a minimum, oppose it. If it doesn't, uh, I'm sorry, I don't have the language in front of me, but uh, take into consideration uh, user interface for the blind. I think we need to be a bit more firm on this uh, and actually uh, be a little tougher. Uh, I think this is going to be huge and incredibly enhance our independence and opportunities. There are so many things we could go do, so many more places, so, such more of a life that we could have with these. And uh, so, so many more jobs that we could have. I will be done in one second. What? All right. All right. So she's made an amendment. Yes. She has made so, an amendment. So the, uh, I do not hear a I second. Got, so, so the amendment proposal fails. I did not hear a second. You didn't right. call for a second. I, did, I said I did not hear a second. Oh. So. All right. Now they have. So, so I'm going to recognize someone else who I think needs to speak on this resolution. Uh, specifically, to, I mean, to the amendment. amendment. Point of order. I don't know who you are. Gretchen Mounty, point of order. Someone did second it, and you did not say, do you hear a second? You just said, I don't hear a second. 
I did hear the gentleman who yelled second moment just a moment ago. So okay. the, the amendment has been made and seconded, and I am going to ask um, our Director of Governmental Affairs, Tony Stevens, to speak about the amendment because I think this is poor policy. It hamstrings our staff. It hamstrings our legislative ability to negotiate. And I want him to tell us exactly how he can do his job if we do that to him. He's coming. Where are we at? Here we go. Oh, you got it in the hand. I think I heard some people say, what was the amendment? The amendment was to remove the deep disappointment and just go with we oppose. Good morning, everybody. This is Tony Stevens, Director of Advocacy and Government Affairs, Governmental Affairs with the American Council of the Blind. Um, I, I will say that in terms of tone um, and, and pushing through this, and it was raised, I think, in some of the earlier discussions as well, um, that, you know, and I say this as well as someone who's on the board of directors for the Consortium of Citizens with Disabilities, the nation's largest cross-disability coalition. We stand with our brothers and sisters with other disabilities in identifying pathways forward toward trying to find a fully autonomous and fully accessible vehicle. We've been working with them around the table with conversations with what's going on with like local motors and other groups to try to do a complete design up. But in terms of with the deeply disappointed, I think it would be fair to say that should the, and I don't want to use any corny metaphors or anything like that about automobiles or things leaving stations, but I think it would be fair to say um, in our positioning in Washington, D.C., uh, that in fact we really would be very disappointed if legislation begins to move forward and our issues are put in the back seat. Um, based on whatever rationale we're given, I think Mark gave a very good example about the difficulties with the, the, the um, ADA Amendments Act and we will firmly work in Washington, D.C. in this particular situation with autonomous vehicles to make sure that our concerns are not in any way put to the back seat. Does that provide clarification, Madam President? Thank you, Tony. Okay. Is there anyone wishing to Madam speak Chairman, in? Madam Chairman, point of in, information. I hear a point of information. Thompson here. You're awfully close to a mic, just a little closer. Hello there. There you go. The troublemaker, Thompson here. Uh, I. Um, it refers to something that happened. The lady made an, uh, an amendment. Nobody heard the second, yet she proceeded to speak on it. And there is a process that should be continued. That is, you recognize the second, you didn't hear it, and until that's heard, you don't speak on the amendment. You know, that was kind of I, poor. I, I understand that, and I did identify a second when one was heard. So, yeah, after she spoke. Uh, I, I understand and acknowledge what you're saying. Okay. I'm going to move on. Yeah, Thank okay. you. I just wanted that clear. Okay. Not even All right. Is there any other discussion? Okay. We're going to call for the question on the amendment to remove the deep disappointment language. And if you want to remove it, you vote yes. If you don't, Correct. You, you vote no. All those in favor, say aye. All those opposed, say no. no. The amendment has failed. We return now to the full body of the resolution. Is there anyone wishing to speak in favor of the resolution or in Madam opposition? Chair. Madam Chair. Please identify yourself and how you wish to speak. 
It's Ray Campbell speaking in oh. favor of the resolution. Oh. I'm going to disagree with my wife here a little bit. Isn't that interesting? Um, Ladies it's going to be a cold winter, Ray Campbell. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a cold room. God, no. cold you know, room. ladies and gentlemen, I'm speaking in favor of this resolution, not because I'm going to get to drive an autonomous vehicle anytime soon. I'm 52 years old. We probably aren't going to see these things in our lifetime. But ladies and gentlemen, it's about the future. And we need to make sure that younger people who are blind or visually impaired coming up are going to have the opportunity to enjoy the full benefits that autonomous vehicles can offer. And therefore, we've got to vote this resolution through and make sure that nobody takes away their right of access. Thank you. All right. Is anyone wishing to speak in opposition? We have about 30 seconds left in our 20-minute discussion period. I'm going to move for, to the vote on the resolution. All those in favor of this resolution say aye. aye. Opposed say no. The resolution is adopted. All right, you're going to hear more from Mark a little later this morning. Um, thank you, Mr. Reichert. We are, um, so I just want to take a moment to acknowledge that this would be the time in the morning when I would say, I'm going to turn the podium over to the presiding officer of the day. And that would have been Carla Rushaval, our treasurer. And unfortunately, she was unable to come because of severe ear issues. Um, and she was encouraged by her profession, medical professionals not to fly. And so she has missed this convention, and I know how hard that has been. She's concluding her service on the board of directors. She's fulfilled six years as our treasurer. Carla, we're all missing you. Thank you for your service to ACB. And here comes a great big round of applause and recognition for your time and service with ACB. Thank you. So I'm going to fill her shoes today, and I think her shoe size is a little bigger than mine, but I'll do my best to preside as best I can. <laughs> so, I probably will. She's going to send me a text right now. <laughs> All right. Um, I want to recognize someone whose shoes I do not want to fill at any point in time in the near future. Um, because she does such a fantastic job of dealing with all of you out there, with me, with the board, with everybody, the hotel. I don't know how she manages to do it, but I can't think of anybody better to make our convention work in every convention uh, than our convention coordinator, Janet Dickelman. Good morning, everybody. I have contacted the hotel. I know it's cold in here. I have contacted them to try to warm it up a little bit. This does keep you awake, though, doesn't it? When I arrive, when what, as you know, the hotel has just gone through a major remodeling. When Marjorie came to do her walkthrough in early June, you couldn't get up to the second floor because the second floor was still under construction. When I arrived on June 27th, you also still couldn't get up to the second floor because of the construction. 
So it has been quite, that's why our hotel orientation was a little delayed, because we couldn't get up and make sure we were correct with all the rooms. That's why some of the labeling has not been up, because they just literally just finished this remodel. And they promised me it would be done before our convention, and it was. I had a lot of nightmares about that, though. Um, so I know that it's been a little, little difficult for some people with the numbering. Marjorie has put numbers up every day, and they somehow disappear. And she keeps putting them up. But I hope that you agree we've had a good convention. The hotel staff has really been phenomenal. What do you think? I know they're really sick of me for calling, and I'm sorry that we've had to have so many room changes, but I found out just a few days before I arrived that the exhibit hall gobbled up one of our meeting rooms that we thought we were going to have, so that kind of changed things a lot. But I think we've all muddled through. I want to thank our great three pre-registration people who helped with the telephone registration. Paula, Catalina, and Marion. I'm sure you, many of you talked to one of them. They did an outstanding job. I could not do this convention without the Minneapolis office. Nancy, Lori, Dee, Lane, as always, you rock. Um, convention committee, our new uh, Jill of All Trades DJ has been all over the place, working at the auction, working at the walk, just helping out wherever needed, and that's been great. Mr. A.V. Rick. I think Rick was ready to throttle me many times this time, this year, because he had this beautiful spreadsheet all worked out with all the rooms and all the A.V., and then I kept sending him change, 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 change. He said he still loved me, but he was going to curse at me, so, you know, but... He did a great job. Um, misinformation desk, Vicki. Yep, she lives. She gives correct misinformation. Mis correct information. <laughs> but I do call her misinformation because she knows everything. Um, what do you say about margarine? Okay, I guess that's all I say about her because there's nothing I can say. She is everywhere and does everything. Yeah, that's a good name for Miss Hospitality. What about our tours? We've had some great tours thanks to Rhonda and all of her hard work. Sorry about having to cancel the Truckee River. Rhonda and I did decide after Minneapolis that we were going to be in charge of the weather, but that didn't quite happen. And the river was just way too high and too dangerous. So we had to cancel that. And we've got several other great tours coming up. Mr. Smitherman in the exhibit hall. We had, we had 65 exhibitor booths this year. And what'd you think? That, that hall was laid out really well. I thought it was very easy to get around. And then there is my cohort because I, she graciously lets me share her space at the volunteer desk. Sally Benjamin, wow. Have we had some outstanding volunteers this year? 
I know everyone says there's never enough volunteers, and of course there is never enough volunteers, but boy, the ones we've had have been wonderful, and they've been everywhere. I also want to thank our officer liaison, Carla. Sorry you're not here, Carla. Every time I talk to Carla, she just says, better you than me, better you than me. And then she has the nerve to call me and ask me something, and I say, why are you bothering me? You know you should leave me alone. Um, so I hope that you feel this has been a successful convention. Let's talk about 2018. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, 2018, I'm going to hear some yelling in a minute, I'm sure, about this. We'll be in St. Louis, Missouri. And I had a great Nevada host committee, ably chaired by Rick Culmey. Poor Rick being in Las Vegas trying to work on Reno things. I mean, he did, he worked so hard. And the other members of the host committee were, were very helpful. Um, Rick, thank you so much for everything. Now, St. Louis, I'm going to have a problem with the host committee because they have been bugging me. <laughs> no, they are so anxious. They've been talking convention to me since Minneapolis. And I keep saying, you guys, I appreciate your enthusiasm. I'm so happy you're going to be. But could we at least get through with Reno before we start working on St. Louis? So they are very enthusiastic, and I look forward to working with them. The convention next year will begin Friday, June 29th, and run through uh, Friday, July 6th. And um, we will be at the Union Station Hotel in St. Louis. And for those of you who don't know, our 2019 convention will be in Rochester, New York. And uh, that will be, we will be using two hotels in Rochester that are literally steps away from each other, the Radisson and the Hyatt. And our, con and our convention rate for both conventions are, is $89 a night. Um, that concludes my convention report. However, I'm not done yet. Uh, banquet tables are tables of eight. If you haven't checked with the information desk, please make sure and get your table set up. A uh, couple of room changes. Sorry, people. But I didn't, poor, I was begged to move people out of Poolside Terrace because it was pretty hot up there. There's CCLVI. Thank you very much, my cheering section. Uh, CCLVI at uh, 115, the travel throughout the ages, is going to be in Bonanza B. The open house for CCLVI is in the CCLVI suite. Um, ACB Students Comedy Night, I moved you out of poolside also because I didn't want you to fry. You will be in Orozco's Lounge, which is on the first floor right by the gift shop and the bus uh, pickup. And self-defense, because we have a lot of people in the self-defense tonight, and they've been a little crowded, they will be moving to the back area of Bonanza B, where there is a lot of chairs set up around the perimeter of the room. Lost and found. We have a large print Bible. We have a Bluetooth keyboard. Uh, you have to, I'm not saying where it was found, so 
You have to tell them at the information desk if you lost it where you found it. Uh, coin purse. I don't know if it's got money. Uh, there's. I'm a little unclear. I think there's one, maybe two blue windbreakers. And there's a folding cane. And Andrew's badge is at the information desk. And Madam President, I'm going to take just a moment of personal privilege, if I may. I would like to donate to ACBM, or ACB, sorry, forget where I am here. I, I would like to make a personal donation to ACB of five, $500. Oh, my God, 500, 100, 100, 100. It, no, you did not. $500 in memory of my dad who passed away this in January. Thank you very much, everyone. Do you want me to answer Do you want questions? Or? Thank you, Janet. Um, we have about one minute for questions. Madam President. Is there anyone at a microphone who wants I'm to ask a, a question? But I don't all right. On. Okay. Janet, thank uh, you again for all your hard work. And uh, we're really looking forward to St. Louis. I can, I can echo how excited the affiliate is. They are ready to go. We're going to bring you a fantastic convention. We've got some terrific ideas. So, all right. Thank you, Madam Thank President, you, thank you for letting me do this. Allowing <laughs> you to do this. Thank you. Aww. Yay, Janet. <laughs> thank you. Okay. <laughs> all right. Thank you. All right, I, I'm going to move on with our program. We're a little behind schedule, but I'm, this is an important panel, and we've got some really great people to, um, to talk to us about an issue of considerable concern to our community. And I'm going to um, turn this over to Tony Stevens, who is our Director of Governmental Affairs, and he can introduce his panel and how they wish to proceed on this on the topic of um, WIOA. And do you want to use one of my my mic? Oh, okay. Thank you. All right. How's everybody doing? Burr. Well. Take a stroll outside, and then you'll be wishing for the inside, folks. <clears throat> but it's a dry heat, everyone keeps saying. So um, good morning, everybody. I'm Tony Stevens, Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs. Um, you've gotten to hear from a couple, myself and, and another person on this panel this morning. Um, I hope that you will continue to enjoy the sound of our voices. Uh, but we have brought two other people up here on stage. I'd like to introduce them. Uh, what we're going to be talking about for the next few minutes is, I think, probably one of the greater challenges that we as a community are going to have to face and it goes back to the simple days of remember in economics in high school or in college or maybe grad school for some people when you took it the issue of supply and demand but the uniqueness of where our population is and where are we going to be increasing in incidence of blindness and in 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 light of that what challenges do we have to face amidst the current landscape of regulatory and legislative landscape that has sort of crafted the way that rehabilitation Really, the doorway to opportunity for Americans with disabilities is through the rehab system, and what challenges have sort of been handed through 
through what was called the Workforce Innovation and Opportunity Act. It was a piece of legislation passed in 2014. Uh, both myself and another member of the panel, we were actively involved on sort of conversations and engagement and advocacy on this issue. Um, but in some sense, it has created a, a whole new world of rehabilitation that maybe is not in complete harmony or in sync with where we are as folks who, who experience a higher onset of age-related disability later in life. Simple facts we all know I know. But what we'd like to do this morning is to present to you a panel uh, addressing some of the challenges. We'll highlight some of the benefits as well. But really to engage a conversation that hopefully you as members of ACB can take back to your state affiliates and you can do some own grassroots advocacy back home in a way that we can begin to push messaging and begin to hopefully push policy that creates a more equal playing field for Americans who are experiencing disability later in life, particularly those with vision loss. So I'd like to take a moment to introduce the panel. What we'll do is I'll introduce the folks here. Uh, they'll get a minute or two to talk about what they do, but also to some of the key issues that will help set up the conversation we're going to be having up here around weathering the changes of the Workforce Innovation and Opportunity Act. It used to be called the Workforce Investment Act, and I love that because it was called WIA. And I always said, let's put the wee in WIA. Um, I haven't come up with anything clever yet for WIOA, um, other than we know we don't say it as we said WIA because it apparently means something in, a, in Native American language. Um, but to that end, I'd like to introduce our, our guests. To my right, your left, we have none other than the Senior Director of Policy and Special Interest, is it, Mark, Initiatives? Uh, what is its title? Strategic Initiatives. I'm sorry, Mr. Reichert. Uh, Mark Reichert from the American Foundation for the Blind. He'll be wearing his AFB hat here today. Uh, directly to my left, your right, of my voice here on the stage, we have Clark Ratchville. Clark is the Program Manager for Public Policy at National Industries for the Blind. And just on the other side of him, we have Rosa Gomez. Rosa is the Assistant Deputy Director of Special Services Division for the Department of Vocational Rehabilitation for the State of California. So I'm going to pass the mic now. I'm going to pass the mark to Mike. No, wait. I'm going to pass the mic to Mark. Um, Mark, share with us a little bit about some of the issues and, and some of the work you do on rehabilitation that will help set up this conversation. Thanks so much. Um, I know you and I folks out there have never met before, so I'm Mark Reichert. It's a pleasure to be with you guys, actually, in all seriousness, in my little AFB capacity. So I want to uh, do a quick shout-out. I'll give you just one URL uh, to think about, one web page, and that is uh, afb.org slash aging, afb.org slash aging. If you were to visit that website, that'll be a portal onto a whole host of other into a whole host of other worlds of stuff. Uh, some years ago, I don't know, at least 20 years ago, the American Foundation for the Blind helped to facilitate for the blindness field a, an agenda on aging and vision loss. And that, uh, you know, in the mid to late 90s, it accomplished a, a number of things and uh, frankly didn't accomplish a lot in a, a few other areas. Uh, it was a bit of a mixed bag. One of the things that I uh, say when I get in meetings like this, I'm always proud to brag on AFB for the accomplishment I'm about to flag because yours truly had nothing to do with it. Um, it really was names like Scott Marshall, Paul Schrader, and Alan Dinsmore, uh, colleagues and friends of all of ours, uh, really, uh, who pushed, 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 pushed really hard and mobilized grassroots folks, probably many of you in this room, no doubt, uh, back then. 
uh, to try to get increases to the older individuals who are blind or the so-called independent living services for older individuals who are blind program. Some people know that as the OIB program. Some people know it as the Chapter 2 program. Chapter 2 referring to a, a specific section of the Rehab Act where this thing has been, uh, was authorized decades ago. And you know uh, what AFB and the field did back then was to raise the appropriation level, the federal spending level for that program. It had been languishing in just a couple million, just a few million dollars. And uh, what we ultimately, what AFB at that time was able to do was help raise that appropriation and put it on a trajectory today where it is now 33.4 million dollars. Now I can tell you that I would dearly love to have 33.4 million dollars in my bank account and I expect that one or two of you might share that uh, aspiration. But $33.4 million to address uh, the field, to address the uh, incredible uh, most important needs of folks who are blind and visually impaired and are older, living longer, uh, working longer, wanting to be independent as much as possible. That's not a, lot of, a whole heck of a lot of money. In fact, the statistics such as AFB and our friends at Mississippi State University who track this stuff probably better than just about anybody uh, uh, would, would suggest the older blind program is really about uh, serving less than 2%, less than, just imagine that, less than 2% of the people who could and should benefit from that program. About 60,000 human beings getting services a year, and you know how much money they spend on average states across the country? About $548. $548 is what on average separates someone in this country from uh, being able to, who's older and living with vision loss, to be able to live independently. You might say, give me a break. 500 and some, that's not going to help you be independent much at all. You can get some services for that that are quality, but the truth is we all know that that dollar amount is not that much. So we need to raise those appropriations. That's why we're trying to address uh, raising appropriations in this aging agenda. And uh, that's certainly one of the major focuses we're doing at AFB. All right, thank you, Mark. I'm going to pass it now over to Clark with National Institute for the Blind. Clark, tell us a little bit about, you know, the, the, what's on your key part of the radar right now for rehabilitation. Great. Thank you, Tony, and good morning to everyone. Thank you, ACB, for having us all here and for welcoming NIB to this discussion. Um, as Tony said, my name is Clark Rockfall, Program Manager of Public Policy with National Industries for the Blind. And our main areas of concern or challenges surrounding the Workforce Innovation and Opportunity Act are twofold. It's that, in our view, the Department of Education went beyond the intent of Congress and in their interpretation of the competitive integrated employment definition. And also due to that definition that the Department of Education eliminated the uncompensated outcomes and homemaker exemptions. We're starting to hear from our member associated nonprofit agencies that in some cases State VR has issued letters saying that we can no longer work with you in any capacity and in other states the VR counselors are not referring people who are blind to Ability One or state use agencies because they will not be counted as closures. So in, from our perspective, we want to make sure that everyone who is looking for work has informed choice 
of all opportunities that are available to them. And we believe that the positions and jobs, careers and opportunities that are offered within NIB agencies can be a good choice for a lot of people. Thank you, Clark. Um, and now moving down the table to Rosa, Rosa, because in a sense you kind of represent two perspectives up here at the table, the, the larger scale perspective of the, the National Council on State Agencies for the Blind, NCSAB, who ACB and other, you know, and AFB and others work along with. Um, but then too, you know, you definitely have an extremely real sense of reality coming from Sacramento. And uh, so share with us a little bit about what you're working on, but then too, uh, any challenges rising out of your work? this on? Great. Okay. So thank you, um, Tony. Okay. How about now? Oh, there we go. Okay. So um, I just want to thank ACB uh, for allowing the opportunity for um, NCSAB to come and present today. And as Tony mentioned, I am with California uh, Department of Rehabilitation. However, I'm here today in the capacity of representing the National Council of State Agencies for the Blind. So just to tell you a little bit about NCSAB, um, so NCSAB is an organization comprised of directors of vocational rehabilitation for the blind agencies and divisions of services for the blind in all 50 states and the U.S. territories. The mission of NCSAB is to promote, through advocacy, collaboration, and education, the delivery of services uh, that enable individuals who are blind and visually impaired to achieve personal and vocational independence. And NCSAB um, accomplishes its mission through um, a variety of different objectives to include acting upon matters pertaining to services for individuals who are blind and visually impaired, as well as um, promoting collaboration uh, with uh, other agencies and services uh, that um, for individuals who are blind and visually impaired. Uh, NCSAB um, also uh, establishes uh, an opportunity to, uh, as an advisory, the, to serve as an advisory body to the U.S. Department of Education, Rehabilitation uh, Service Administration. Um, let's see, some other objectives include uh, to inform the public of the abilities and capacities, um, uh, capabilities rather, of individuals who are blind and visually impaired, the benefits uh, of services uh, for individuals who are blind and visually impaired, and to promote the vocational and personal independence of individuals who are blind and visually impaired. In addition, NCSAB also serves as an advocacy um, to uh, support uh, individuals who are blind and visually impaired. Um, NCSAB's position um, uh, is that the most effective and comprehensive services available to blind individuals are those that deliver separate uh, services. Um, and of course, some of these services include uh, vocational rehabilitation services, orientation and mobility, uh, vision rehabilitation, teaching, the Randolph-Shepard program, library services, preschool activities, uh, prevention of blindness, as well as technical assistance. Um, so again, there are services throughout the United States, and um, 
and our territories, um, that an individual can find a local um, department in their state so that they can receive services. Uh, also, we do our NCSAB um, supports the provision of services uh, for businesses. Um, and these services include the opportunity for businesses to learn about um, employing persons with disabilities, uh, accommodations. Um, so the idea is that these services can help uh, work with businesses so that employees can continue working um, as well as businesses learning about uh, the benefits of employing persons with disabilities. Thank you so much, Rosa. You know, one of the things that I think is critical, and I'm just going to play editorial just for a second to set up the first question that's going to kind of, uh, you know, ask for your input on, is, and we talk about this in a lot of areas, the uniqueness of blindness, and not just the uniqueness of blindness um, from sort of the challenges of a sensory disability, but um, the, the way in which full independence is, is reclaimed for someone who is going blind or losing their sight uh, and experiencing severe vision loss. In a sense of the work that you all are doing, uh, and th there is the positive. I mean, there's definitely positive in all things that, you know, that we, can, we can find some diamonds in the rough, in a sense, of WIOA. Uh, if it's looking at, you know, the fact that there is significant amount of opportunity uh, for youth, those of our, our youth who are blind and visually impaired in schools right now uh, can experience a great number of programs through what's called pre-ETS. You know, one of the challenges that we faced was that 15% of the funding had to be set aside for youth. But for those folks in that youth, you know, I'll talk with folks around the country, and if it's a, a state in the Midwest, when I was talking with a director, they went from 170000 to $1.5 million. Uh, a state in New England director told me that they went from 500000 to $1.5 million that they're spending with youth. That money is taking money from somewhere else. Um, and it's in those populations where it's taking money from somewhere else that we face the challenges because you have to do more with less and less with a population that is very unique. Um, the question to all three of you uh, is, you know, because it's, we don't get coverage through insurance like a lot of other groups that may be able to provide occupational therapy or physical therapy. There are some incidences, incident, incident, instances, but nowhere in a sense of norm. Uh, what are the primary challenges or bar let's not say challenge, let's say a barrier in a sense that is currently standing in the way of really getting the fundamental skills, I'm talking about braille, orientation and mobility, those fundamental things so that a person can, can blossom in a truly competitive integrative experience. Any thoughts for any of you three? What, what barriers can we work towards breaking down in the immediate need that can get folks through those initial steps to be able to say, because the homemaker outcome was a big thing. But I think in some sense, you know, is the homemaker outcome something that, uh, you know, why is it that so many folks end up using the homemaker outcome? Why is it such a, a positive thing for people? Um, so what barriers can we do to, to relift those positive things they might have gotten through homemaker? Anyone? This is Rosa. Go ahead, Rosa. Um, so I think one of the things that we often talk about um, the different VR agencies is that Department of Rehabilitations are really kind of the best kept secret that um, it, is, um, it is not well known about VR services and so I think one of the things that we really need to emphasize is getting the word out about the services that are available. Of course, as you mentioned, there's always um, an issue around resources. Um, so as um, for those who may not know that um, 
the VR program or agencies do not provide services, but work with uh, partners, community partners, um, to provide services. And so sometimes there is an issue around, um, you know, resources available in the community um, to serve uh, the blind and visually impaired communities. So um, as you mentioned, um, homemakers, I think also the concern is that, yes, we know that the final goal of homemaker is going away. Uh, we no longer have that as an employment option. But it's important to also remember that that does not mean that independent living skill services are going away. We do absolutely recognize that an individual who is going to go to work definitely needs those skills of independence, so learning how um, to cook and clean for themselves, learning mobility, learning communication skills, braille, um, you know, learning how to use the computer. All those skills are needed, um, and the VR programs will continue to provide those services, but the idea is that once those services are provided and the individual has those independent living skills, that they will then move on to obtaining employment. Um, and so there may be additional training and skills needed so that they can be ready for the workplace. For Mark and Clark, do you all see ways in which the, the programs that you all are most close, close, closely associated with or have on your radar? Um, Mark, are you, are you laughing here? Or what are your thoughts? You know, because um, I know you, you, there, no, weigh in. Here, I'm passing the mic to you. I sold Mark's mic. It's Mark with the mic speaking. Um, so, I mean, I think the short answer is the biggest barrier is that this country, our beloved United States of America, to which we pledged allegiance, uh, you know, earlier uh, this morning, is an absolute colossal failure when it comes to providing services to older people generally and to older folks with vision loss in particular. And if we don't, if we don't approach as a field, whatever, you know, from a comprehensive point of view, we're not going to get it done. So I'll, I'll, let me give you a nice little sort of Mobius strip-like loop about this. So it would be e it's easy for someone like a policy hack like me to get up and say, yeah, we need more money for the older blind program, and we most assuredly do. But do you know that right now the program is $33.4 million? If we were to raise that dollar amount up to $120 million tomorrow, it ain't going to happen, so don't, don't hold your breath. But if we raised it to $120 million, you know that the way that the program is currently structured with the funding formula that's, that's in place, that at least a third of the country, the small states that don't have pretty, you know, relatively speaking, small populations, you know how much money they would get in additional money if we did that? Just about maybe a little more than $100,000 more. Is that going to really change things in those states? Particularly, these are, of course, rural states, too, where there's a lot of folks spread out all over the place. So the, we obviously need to look at the fundamental structure uh, and function of the program, the older blind program. We also need to make sure that we have the appropriate personnel. How many personnel are, at least if you look at certification anyway, how many personnel do we have in this country that are certified to reach folks who are older? Well, folks are blind generally, actually, on the rehab side. Less than 4,000 of them. You could put them in a giant convention center, all of them, and, and go up to each one of them and shake their hands. That's how few there are. How many occupational therapists are there in this country? Over 200,000, just to give you a feel for the structure, right? And then the third piece is, and Rosa mentioned this, 
the state agencies do a, as good of a job as the folks who work for them and the limited resources that are provided for them can allow. And yet the truth is that over half, I think it is now, of states in this country do not have specialized private agencies for the blind to whom state agencies can turn to do the kind of partnering and work directly. So the things I've just talked about are, are you know, it's, it's on, on the one hand, it's depressing to talk about them because they are such systemic, you know, generation long in trying to solve problems. And yet these are the things that will always thwart our ability to really get something done if we don't, in a comprehensive way, try to do something about them. It's a really good point, Mark. I, I think I want to turn to you, Clark, for a moment, if we can. And um, I think, you know, what Mark shared really resonated in a sense of um, the folks out there that really know blindness biz, so to speak, are the service providers. And what NIB does to a large part is really, under its umbrella, represent a large number of those service providers. I mean, a, a lot of the most successful industry programs are, especially nowadays when we look at competitive integrated opportunities of just high wage employment and settings that that you know for all purposes regardless of what VR might say you know you're sitting next to people who are fully able-bodied you know with no vision impairment at all working alongside them if it's let's say a service contract or your contract management programs that NIB runs um, you know I think in some sense uh, what what is the space that NIB could play in really trying to sort of change this to draw greater attention to the needs of those that might be walking through the door for the first time uh, at the same space where you're doing great innovation and in, in showing those people that, that they can be fully independent and live you know, the rest of their adult years before retirement independent with good wages and that type thing. Sure, thank you, Tony. Uh, sorry, I have the temperamental microphone. Just as a little bit of background on NIB, uh, currently NIB has around 102 associated nonprofits throughout the US. 65 of those are producing agencies that provide goods or services to the federal government, employing around 5,800 people who are blind. And just by a, a show of applause, who here currently works at an NIB agency or has worked in the past at an NIB agency? Okay, so a, ha a handful of us. Uh, I just started with NIB back in April. I had no idea who they were or the work they did before that. My background was nearly 10 years of public policy work with Verizon Communications. I was laid off in 2015, and as I worked to re-enter the workforce, I have my college degree. I had nearly a decade experience in public policy, and there were very few avenues available to me in the competitive marketplace. I think the opportunities that NIB and our associated nonprofits provide is meaningful employment opportunities to people who have exhausted or are very frustrated from not finding work that meets their skill set in the broader economy. And in addition to the employment avenues at NIB agencies, in 2016, NIB agencies also provided rehabilitation, training, and vocational rehabilitative services for 100,000 individuals across the country. 
So in our view, with the Department of Education deciding to eliminate the homemaker exemption and uncompensated outcomes, in some cases we're seeing that people that who lose their vision later in life, who are not yet ready to enter the workforce, are being written off as unrehabilitated. What we would like Congress to do and for the Department of Education to do is to provide guidance to the state VR agencies that some people need those life skills that Rosa was talking about. And as they regain their confidence, they will want to re-enter the workplace. And when that happens, we would also like state VR agencies to consider the Ability One and state use nonprofit agencies as an opportunity. Because in, in our workplace environment, even if you are a, a sewer working as a blind individual next to other blind individuals, some people look at that and say, okay, there, there are four blind sewers, 100% of that part of your agency is not integrated. But if you're working on a sewing machine all day, doing your projects, getting as many units out the door as you have to in a day, you're not interacting much with the people directly around you. You're, act, you're interacting with your supervisors, with those delivering the raw materials, those who are taking your product to the next workstation. And we think that all of them should be considered when making a, a determination on whether a workplace is integrated. So this next question is for all three. Because, um, you know, Mark, you made a good point about uh, the, the, the disparity between when you look at how many OTs there are versus how many folks that, that are specifically trained in our special interest area. Uh, Clark, you had mentioned about, in a sense, of the people walking through the door who are unrehabilitated in the eyes of some um, based on, the, on sort of the, just the way the cards have been dealt out to them. And, and the inability for them to maybe get the experiences for them to, to reclaim their independence. Uh, and Rosa as well, um, you know, in, in conversations just before here, when we talked about the money uh, in certain states, that, that is being spent out now when we look at youth. Uh, if we had no money concerns, if we had a blank check, this is, is going to be a two-part question because I'll turn the question around once we're done with it. But for all three of you, if we had a blank check, what would be the one area that let's say it was a roulette table, what number would we put it on if each of those numbers had a certain thing within our sphere that we thought could maybe be the greatest opportunity to push forward, knowing that we're going to be having a significant number of more people in recent years coming to our services for, for so where can we put that money in investment if we had a blank check today? What would be the one number, the one issue or thing we could put it on? I'll turn to you first, Mark. Uh, gee, uh, thanks for turning to me first while I'm sitting there going, what am I going to say? Hopefully you won't call on me. I, I don't know. the. Wow, tough to you know, put, put your money on that one number. I, I guess the thing I would say would be collaboration. It's a wimpy answer. At least it sounds like it, but let me just tell you what I mean. I mean, if sure, like I said, it would be easy to say, okay, a uh, billion dollars, right? Uh, well, a billion dollars for the older blind program, it still probably isn't enough. But we've been debating uh, among, you know, us, 
What, uh, and by the way, uh, hats off since we have an NCSAB colleague here with us. The state agencies for the blind are full-throated partners uh, uh, with all of us on these issues, and it's great to see. I'll shout out to Paul Saner, who's the Massachusetts Commission for the Blind, heads up the older blind uh, uh, section there at NCSAB, and we're working in partnership with them. One of the things that we're trying to assess is what would full funding look like? Nobody knows because you don't really know the answers to basic questions like, so, okay, what is the optimal array of services that are needed? Uh, what, how, who's going to provide them? Where are those professionals going to come from? And gee, even something as simple as, so how many older blind folks uh, are there anyhow? Uh, there's lots of estimates out there. So it'd be easy to say more money, but I think the realistic approach from a policy point of view, right? The art of what is possible. That's what policy and politics is supposed to be about. So let's assume that we might get tiny little increases if we're lucky in the older blind program. It's really about coordinating that older blind program at the federal level, that funding, with other state level programs uh, that are already in existence. Yes, all of them are cash strapped too. All of them are struggling with few people to work with in terms of the professionals, et cetera. But it's amazing when you pull a group of folks together from the area agencies on aging or you know, other state or even local groups uh, and how many folks say, this is the first time I've ever met you, whoever you are, uh, private agency for the blind director or older. And, and we, don't, we don't have nearly enough bridges built because I think that's really the key for making sure that we're connecting up with the seniors right where they are. And I'll conclude for, with this, Tony, and that is, you know, it, 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 it is also easy to say that the older blind program is really where we got to pull all of our eggs. The truth is that program relies on people finding out about it or getting in touch with it. The real problem is that most of the folks who are older and experiencing vision loss are connecting up almost exclusively with their eye doctors primarily and through other health systems with which we are not coordinated. So I think coordination collaboration is the key. So I'm hearing a lot of investment put in, in sort of strategic re, rethinking some sense, relationships. Um, I'm going to go down to the end of the table, Rosa, uh, for your thoughts, but then too, if, if there was a blank check, uh, not just in California, but perhaps in any state agency around the country, um, where can we get the biggest bang for the buck in, fo bang for the buck in focus? Thank you. So um, blank check sounds great, um, but you know when we think about rehabilitation, there's so many different components. I can absolutely appreciate um, the importance of collaboration. So, you know, with collaboration, we have the opportunity of working with different of our partners to be able to create more comprehensive services and get the biggest um, bang for our buck. Um, so, you know, there are different populations that we serve, and Mark, you know, mentioned older individuals who are blind. So I'm going to take the um, younger end and say, well, you know, RSA has asked us that we have a 15% set aside for our youth, um, so um, individuals who are age 16 to 21. Um, and the services that they're asking that we provide is job exploration counseling, uh, work-based learning experiences, um, counseling-related uh, post-secondary opportunities so that um, uh, these young individuals have the opportunity of learning what is after high school, um, workplace readiness training, as well as self-advocacy training. So when we think about if we are able to target our young people, what we're really doing is setting up a solid foundation so that they have those needed skills to, um, to 
you know, function through their life as well as mm -hmm. gaining work-related uh, um, experiences that is really going to help set um, a strong foundation for them to be independent and to obtain the skills needed to carry themselves um, and, and uh, get a job and retain that job. Um, so again, I don't think that there's a, you know, one check will kind of fit all, but, um, you know, um, we know that there are some individuals who do acquire their disability um, when, you know, in their um, 20s and 30s and 40s before they mm -hmm. are eligible for the OIB program. So, you know, it's, it's really hard um, to, to say that we're just going to cover one population, but, um, you know, if we have these services available, um, you know, technically uh, the pre-employment training services are services that can be utilized uh, for other um, age groups. And um, we also know that businesses are really concerned not about not just persons with disabilities, but in general, that they're feeling that um, our young people who are coming up and, and ready to get a job don't have those work skills. Mm -hmm. So if we can provide these skills to um, individuals who are disabled, then they're going to be a kind of a, cut, a step ahead um, and be more employable. Right. So. That, then the pre-employment transition service for older age adults, that's a brilliant way to think about some of the, some of the areas that could be pushed forward. Clark, what about your own thoughts, just in, 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 you know, in closing in a sense? Because then I got my other part of the question that I'll, I'll turn in a second. Absolutely, and I, I think we all agree that just throwing money at this situation isn't, isn't all that's necessary. Mm. In, in NIB's perspective, uh, our issues are less with the dollars and, and cents and more with the direction of regulatory language. Uh, so in the Department of Education's final VR rulemaking issued last August, um, there are several spots in that rulemaking where the Department of Education is telling state VR agencies that Ability One and state use nonprofits will never or are highly unlikely to ever be considered integrated workplaces. In addition to saying that several times, the, the law and the regulations also provide that to make a determination on an integrated workplace, that state VR agencies have to do that on an individual case-by-case -case basis. So that's a little confusing. Uh, and, if it, and if it is a matter of dollars and cents, then NIB and our associated agency, we would hope that there is enough federal or state funding so that uh, state VR counselors can do their job appropriately and effectively with the law and visit our associated agencies on a case-by-case -case basis. I think in a lot of cases there are there's some institutional beliefs that our agencies are cloistered workshops where people are isolated down in a basement behind locked doors that are chained from the outside. And as many people here who work at our agencies know, and by all means everyone visit the agency near you, 
a lot of these are very modern workplaces. These are competitive place jobs where people rise or sink based on their own merits. So we want everyone to have that opportunity, and if that means more funding to state VR agencies to make those determinations on a case-by-case -case basis, so be it. So what I'm hearing for takeaways from all three of you then is a sense that even if we had everything we needed, if it was human power, if it was dollar power, uh, one reality does exist in our population, not one size fits all. That a diversity needs to exist of services, of supports, and the question therein lies then, I guess, where do we, in a sense, find ourselves not for the individual where they are maybe in their life or their age, let's not divide people by age, but in a sense of their need in overcoming the challenges of a newly onset of a disability. I'm gonna turn the final question now to the audience. Are you still there, audience? Are you sure? I've been hearing a lot of surreys going around. Is the audience still there? All right, this is the final question for the audience. Because Doug Powell, is Doug still in here? Who, who chairs our rehabilitation committee, uh, which, which focuses on a lot of these hard issues that we'll be focusing on in the next year. Is, is a Star Wars champion and continually reminding people to get involved in their local state affiliate, through the local state affiliates, to get involved and get seats on these, these councils. The SRCs, the State Rehabilitation Council. Who in this room has gotten involved in any of those councils in the past? Anybody? That's promising numbers, but it's not everybody in the room. I think the way that we're going to, and, and I say this you know, from DC, but I would want to know, can I get an amen from the people up here on the, in the panel with me? I don't know, or you can throw me to the side. Uh, with the with the sow and and the swine and all that off the mountain, um, it's an old biblical reference. Sorry, my Jesuit sometimes kicks in. Um, something like that, yeah. So, um, but for those in the room here, a, a commitment, finding ways to get involved. This is the key takeaway. We all need to find ways to get involved, to talk about that not one size fits all. That there is a diversity and that there needs to be regulations and laws in place and funding streams in place that meets the need of a diverse population from, from start to finish of reclaiming their independence and being able to, to fully participate in our society. Are we all in sort of agreement of that up here on the table? Okay. My hope is then as groups, and I, and I, and I, I throw this question out to, the, to those in, in our audience then again, uh, you know, to go back to your state affiliates and to find ways to get involved in state rehabilitation councils so that we can represent this diverse population and the needs and so that we have a voice at the table when it comes time to finding out how the, the hot and cold need to continually be fixed and adjusted. So in a sense, are there any, and I'm going to just give five seconds, Mark, sure. for closing comments. Um, for everybody up here, what is, what is one, one takeaway that we can take back to our own places of something that we can focus on. If, if it could be one word, Mark, I think I already heard you mention a word and I know what it might be. But um, you know, one word or one thought that we can take back to our own agencies to report back to our colleagues and peers that can help us work with the state affiliates. What is one of those things, Mark? Well, I'll give you two words, Larry Johnson. Is Larry Johnson from Texas in the room? Well, if you don't know him, you should. Uh, he's a name that we should all get to know more. It's not just him, but our friends Chris Prentice and other folks in Texas, I think. Uh, you know, they do wild and crazy things down there in Texas, but sometimes they get it right. Uh, don't throw anything at me, Texas. 
and one of the things that they just did recently was enact some legislation at the state level to talk about exactly what we've been describing, the collaboration piece, making sure that the older blind program and that function in the state of Texas is linked up with the other groups that are already playing in the aging space. That's the sort of thing. And Larry's a good guy, and uh, he's got an interesting story to tell. We should uh, you know, talk about that more. Doug Powell had featured him at his presentation earlier this week. The short takeaway from all that is, you know, Larry's great, and he's not in any sense any different than any of you uh, who could be much more involved at the state level. You know, Tony and I get to play in D.C., but more and more of this work is going to happen at the state level. For goodness sake, whether it's the state rehab councils or other things, if you are involved, you can make some of this sort of thing happen at the state level yourself. And I bet more and more what we're going to want to see to try to solve some of these problems needs to happen there. All right, so that one word then was collaboration. All right, Clark, next to you. So last week, National Industries for the Blind, we had a, a state fly-in in Washington, D.C. We had 78 employees of the year from 48 of our associated agencies, as well as around 50 employees who are being trained as advocates for our policy issues. And the same thing that we did with them in Washington, D.C., I think we all need to do for ourselves, our community, and our agencies on the state and local level. We need, to, we need to get out there. We need to be the faces for the issues that are important to us. And if you're working with, whether it's a state use or NIB-associated agency, or an agency that does rehabilitation training, invite your local policymakers or your lo local regulators to come out and see the work that your agency does. And All I right. think that'll go a long way to clearing up any confusion. So I'm hearing a buzzword there, empowerment. We need to empower ourselves. Is that fair to say? Am I, am I hearing you right? Okay, so that's an affirmative there. Rosa, what about your thoughts? Final, final thought, um, word. Yeah, so my thoughts are, you know, I think oftentimes we um, know that there are agencies out there and organizations to um, support our causes, but really it's um, our own individual responsibility. And so I just really encourage everybody to, you know, do your part, um, share your voice, um, become a part of, um, you know, as um, was mentioned, the SRCs. Um, so, you know, do get involved and, um, you know, take personal responsibility. All right. So I'm hearing empowerment to get involved and collaborate. Um, take notes, everybody. So when we're back here next year, let's find out where we are with that. And let's give a big round of applause for everybody on our panel. Get involved. Collaborate. Empower yourselves. Empower your voice. Thank you Tony, so much, Madam President. I yield back to you. Tony, this is Doug Powell. Can I just... For two seconds. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead, so, go ahead uh, Doug. Thank so you. I'm doing so, my Kim impersonation now. Yeah. So, uh, as as uh, as Tony said, I'm the uh, current chair of the Rehabilitation Issues Task Force, and it's sounding to me like what we need to do is get together and empower each other through the task force, so we can be a clearinghouse and we can develop working groups on all these. Uh, disparate, well, not disparate, but, you know, different issues that are associated with uh, WIOA and older blind issues and that kind of thing. We can develop working groups and keep each other uh, psyched and, and look at new ways of approaching it as, a, as working groups. So um, 
please sign, if you're not signed up on the rehabilitation stakeholders list on the ACB website, please go to the ACB website, go to email uh, lists, and uh, get yourself signed up on the rehab stakeholders list, and we'll uh, keep, continue to communicate with you and, and get together. Thank, thank you, Doug. Um, the, um, sounds like a plan for the rehab task force for next year, and we can get some good work done. Um, all right, I want to outline a bit of a, progr a program adjustment. Um, I do want to have some announcements. I do want to have some door prizes. So the gentleman um, associated with resolutions, Tony, Mark, Eric, have petitioned me that there are a couple resolutions that are very appropriate for the WIOA conversation we've just had. So I have not asked Tony about this, but I will have made an executive decision that we're going to move Tony's report to tomorrow morning and use the time that he would have had today so that we could do those resolutions at the time when this issue is fresh in our minds. We've heard the discussion. We want to hear the resolutions that go with it as the, as the after work. So does that work for everybody? Good. All right. So. I'm going to switch the mics back because I like the other one better. So I'll be. Can you put that in for me while I grab this one? All right. This one's much stronger. And <laughs> All right. Madam Chair, with an announcement. Um, hold on, Ray. I'm holding. You, you get to have it, but not quite yet. Because I have an announcement that's incredibly important. Um, I want to do a reach out to a couple people from Indiana who I believe are very close to a microphone. And I want to allow them an opportunity to speak after I tell you what, what um, Don Coors has done for Jerry Coors. They have purchased a life membership for Jerry. So Jerry, congratulations. Welcome to the uh, life member club of the American Council of the Blind. We're so pleased to have you. And did you want to say a few words? Um, I've, I'll um, keep this uh, very brief. Okay, closer so we can hear I you. I am. I'm practically touching. I there know. We there we go. Um, this is just something that I just decided that it was time to do. And we have been involved with ACB ever since the state chapter formed in the early 70s along with our local chapter, the Circle City chapter in Indianapolis. And we both have been involved all these years. And we first, we didn't start coming to the national conventions until 94 because I was busy raising children. <laughs> and uh, so it wasn't until then that, that uh, I became more involved um, because I, you know, could, could leave home easier. So. Um, ACB is, is a great organization, and, and uh, we have always supported it as, as much as we could. So um, I'm very happy to do this. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. Do there happen to be anyone at microphones other than Ray Campbell? I'm making him wait. I don't know why I'm being pesty to him today. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to recognize Ray Campbell because he is at a microphone for an announcement. 
Okay, thank you. I've been asked to make this announcement on behalf of BITS. Uh, just letting you know that, like yesterday, Rob Haverty, I think his name is, from Adobe, will be up in the BITS suite this afternoon from 1 to 4. That's 11.20 on the east side of the hotel. Um, again, taking feedback on all things Adobe, the mobile app, um, uh, PDF reader, uh, Acrobat reader DC, all those things. Uh, so if you have any feedback for Adobe, uh, BitSuite between 1 and 4 this afternoon, room 1120 East Tower. Thank you. Donna Thank Pomerantz. You. So is someone asking Donna for the Pomerantz? microphone? Yeah, Donna Pomerantz. Okay, Donna. Hello. Um, this is, um, we're still collecting large print surveys um, done by CCLVI and the BOP. Any of <laughs> you who are large print readers um, on paper, you don't have to be a member. If you're registered with convention, come on over. We're collecting them today. And if you're not able to find me, you can leave them off at the information desk or at the CCLVI suite. Um, you can also pick one up from the information desk as well. Um, folks, each and every, um, we're getting a lot of surveys, so thank you very much. We hope to get more, and we're looking forward to being able to get the tabulations from um, the surveys and what came out of this convention before um, there's any movement forward, as, as our chair, Ron Brooks, stated, the outcome of this survey will be reported to folks um, through the various means. And then, uh, as our CCLVI president, Leslie, says, um, then we'll be working on next steps. So each and every one of you, please, it does make a difference to have you fill them out. And the only thing we're asking is for your convention badge number. So you do not need to put your name on the surveys, and we will not be um, trying to identify anyone or reach anyone. So there is that anonymity. As well, I'm selling ACB Braille form raffle tickets still. So come on and help support. And you can even get a group together of five. Um, so look forward to seeing you for surveys or ACB Braille form raffle tickets. Thank you. Thank you, Donna. All right. We, we are going to um, go into semi-break mode. This is a new thing I just invented, so <laughs> let's, let's, let's try it. Um, I know some people need to re leave the room to uh, return to a normal body temperature before you go into hypothermia. So... <laughs> Frozen is a very popular movie. Maybe we're all going to be on the cast here. Um, <laughs> so we're in semi-break mode, which means we are going to do door prizes. So keep your little ears open if you're outside. Maybe you'll hear your name. So let's do door some door prizes. prizes. Then we will return back to our, our sponsor for the next segment will be the Resolutions Committee. Hi, everybody. This is... This Kathy. is Barry again the with Barry. the prizes. All right, door prizes. The first door prize is the blue cobalt Nevada shape box with 25 silver dollar Ike bills in, uh, dollars in it. And the name again? Catherine Clegg. Is Catherine Clegg in the room? I don't oh, think so. I don't hear anything. It was very quiet. John Glass. 
Is John Glass in the room? It doesn't sound oh, like Oh, you snooze, you lose. He's on his AM, his, uh, no, his ham frequency somewhere. Edwin Remesey. Edwin Remesey. I think he is here. All righty, Stand then. up and. Okay. He's got his hand raised, okay. so. We have All another right. prize. It's from Utah. And that is a t-shirt and a can of cocoa. In the name. <laughs> I think we all need that, yeah. but then we'd have to fight over where the stove was to make it right this minute. <laughs> and the name is, uh, yeah, Tim Mueller. Tim Mueller. Is Tim Mueller in the room? I don't think oh. so. Thomas Murakami. Right he is here. Yes. That, one, that sounds like Hawaii to me, or California, maybe. All right, it does. Hawaii. Okay. Very good. Man, I hope I get this one, but I know they'll say it's rigged. A $10 Starbucks gift certificate and, a 15, with a, and also a $15 iTunes card, gift card from North Dakota. And the name? Merlin Paulson. No. Merlin Paulson. Merlin Paulson. Paulson. No, I don't think so. Uh-oh. Going for another name. Yes. Patrick Brockman. Not here? Not here. Patrick. Kenneth Reed. Is Kenneth Reed in the room? That's a yes, okay. All righty then. Is he from Kansas? No. The, the, the Mississippi, okay. Yes. All right, good. Another one? Okay, we have another one. So. Sounds good. Oh, Utah. Okay. Hang on. Okay. Um, we have... Uh, $10 Subway card from D.C. Capital. A $10 Subway card from D.C. Capital. Yay, D.C. Oh, Susan Masrui. Alrighty then. <laughs> no doubt she has made it clear she Masrui. is here. Yay. <laughs> That's what I like. Huh? Definitive. Stand up, stand up, please, <laughs> Susan Masrui. Okay. <laughs> Okay, are we ready for that one? Yes. Okay, right. we have we have another Utah T-shirt and some more cocoa to cool to warm us up. Hi. Hang on. Cassandra Mendez. Okay. All right. No. Okay. Gone. Okay. Larry Showalter. Larry is, Showalter. Is, is he in the room? Larry here? Larry? No, I don't oh. think so. Miranda <laughs> Martinez. Miranda Martinez. Miranda Martinez? No, I don't Yay. think so. How about Jeff Bishop from Arizona? Jeff, Jeff Bishop? Jeff Bishop. What? 
He is here. Up Yay. All right. Stand Thank up, Jeff. Jump up and down so we can find you. <laughs> right up front, Arizona. All right. Thank you, Door Prize folks. That was fun. We gave some good things away. Okay. Um, and we'll do a couple at the very end. You still have some? Oh, yeah. We'll find them. If we don't, oh, we'll find them. Good, good. All right. We'll they, be back. They, they still have mine waiting. Oh, yes. Mark's is waiting. Of course. All right, I'm going to recognize Mark for resolutions. Thank you, Madam Chair. There are three. We'll get through as many as you think we have time for, uh, but there are three that are certainly on point from the conversation that we've just had, each in their own unique way. All right, this first one is about the Older Blind Program. And whereas, uh, excuse me, ACB, <laughs> whereas ACB Resolution 2013-19 clearly demonstrated that there is an expectation that the population of older Americans with vision loss will increase exponentially over a generation. And whereas federal funding for the individuals, in, the independent living services for older individuals who are blind, uh, hold on. Whereas federal funding for, in, for independent living services for older individuals who are blind, uh, pursuant to Title VII, Chapter 2 of the Rehabilitation Act of 1973, as amended, also known as the OIB program, remains static at approximately $33.4 million annually. And whereas, given the 2016 issuance of regulations by the United States Department of Education, which arbitrarily bar states from using vocational rehabilitation dollars to offer services to clients with vision loss for whom, uh, uh, for whom compensated work outside the home may neither be appropriate nor desired state's capacity today to meet the independent living needs of older people with vision loss has been even further diminished. And now, therefore, be it resolved that this organization make it a priority to participate in the American Foundation, in goal one of the American Foundation for the Blind's 21st century agenda on aging and vision loss to address the critical national need for dramatically increased and better leveraged funding for services to older individuals who are blind or visually impaired. And be it further resolved that this organization make it a national legislative imperative to advocate for a substantial increase in the level of federal funding for the OIB program. And be it further resolved that uh, state chapters of this organization are hereby encouraged to work at the state level with other appropriate stakeholders to make it more to make more state dollars available to address this acute crisis of resources and be it further resolved that the officers directors and staff of this organization are hereby directed to make finding better ways to create resources to serve older people with vision loss a priority over the next year. 
let me just say, um, this resolution I think is, is great. Appreciate the makers for putting it together. Uh, it directly references the American Foundation for the Blind and our 21st century aging agenda, and obviously I work for AFB. It talks about you know a ACB being involved in it. ACB is already doing that, and 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 so I don't want to leave the impression. And indeed, I want to commend Eric and Tony and Kim and on and on and on for the participation in it. Uh, this essentially memorializes that and underlines it. But in any case, uh, Madam President, with that, we recommend a do pass and I so move. And motion's been made and seconded. Hearing no discussion, all those in favor of this resolution say aye. Opposed, no. All right. Thank you. Madam President, the next one, uh, yeah, I, I'm sorry. I, I, I apologize publicly to Doug Powell. I should have also mentioned that that resolution, as well as this one, uh, are part and parcel of the work that he and the rehab task force uh, have been doing, and indeed that re that reso and this one coming up uh, have emerged from that process. So thank you, Doug, for your leadership, and it was very cool to be part of your panel on Sunday, sir. So uh, thank you. Um, this resolution is about the availability of staff uh, and the, the appropriateness of professionals to meet the needs that we've been talking about. Whereas the American Council of the Blinds, ACB's Rehabilitation Task Force, has learned that various voices from within the university, professional certification, and private, uh, and private, move forward, thank you, private agency communities are calling for the establishment and promotion of a single unified name or so-called umbrella designation to refer to each of the major professional disciplines uh, serving individuals who are blind or visually impaired. And whereas the establishment of such a designation is being uh, proposed to encompass state licensed teachers of students with visual impairments, certified orientation and mobility specialists, certified vision rehabilitation therapists, certified low vision therapists, a certified, yes, and certified assistive technology instructional specialists. And whereas these professional disciplines offer a wide variety of complementary but critically distinct services to a yeah. profoundly heterogeneous population of children, working age adults, and seniors with vision loss. And whereas while there is some overlap among the various professional disciplines in terms of knowledge and training. Each of these disciplines require a distinct specialized competencies of the professionals who practice them. And whereas, particularly with regard to teachers of students with visual impairments, Pedagogical method, methods for providing instruction to children, existing state licensing structures, and the requirements of both federal and state special education law all uh, militate against commingling uh, the branding of this profession with the other disciplines. And whereas each of the disciplines certified by 
the Academy for Certification of Vision, Rehabilitation, and Education Professionals, or ACV, REP, has a well-defined body of knowledge and a specific purpose to fulfill in the delivery of specialized services to people who are blind or who have low vision. And whereas the use of a single title, prefix, designation, or other naming scheme that attempts <clears throat> to blur distinctions between and among the various professionals poses historically demonstrable risks to the recognition, availability, funding, and receipt of, full, of the full array of services meeting the unique needs of individuals living with vision loss. And whereas main, maintaining orientation and mobility, vision rehabilitation therapy, and low vision therapy as unmistakably distinct and identifiable disciplines is the best strategy to ensure that clients receive all services from a team of specialists expected to possess discipline-specific expertise, meeting clients' highly individualized needs. Now, therefore, be it resolved that this organization declares its opposition to uh, the establishment and use of a unifying designation, prefix, or title to refer to each of the professional disciplines serving children, working adults, and, or seniors who are blind uh, or visually impaired. And be it further resolved that under no circumstances should any unifying designation encompass teachers of students with visual impairments. And uh, be it further resolved that this organization, through its officers, officers, board of directors and staff, communicates this, uh, uh, communicates with the proponents of such a unifying professional designation uh, to express our serious concerns with any strategy to brand, label, or describe the existing array of professional disciplines in any way which may be construed, particularly by those outside and largely completely unfamiliar with the vision loss community, to combine or blur critical distinctions between and among the various educational and rehabilitative professions. And be it further resolved that ACB collaborates with the leading organizations, organizational voices in our field, representing public and private agencies, professionals, and other uh, direct services uh, providers to identify and pursue the most effective long-term strategies to ensure the availability and quality of services that truly meet individuals' needs. Guys, thanks for the patience in hearing that, but it's, it's a very important issue. I, you know, we've all been struggling in our field forever on how to go about recruiting and retaining new professionals. We're desperately in need of them. Some strategies were, you know, seem uh, a bit more, have proven to be more effective than others. This is one wherein I think folks genuinely from a position, you know, they have their heart in the right place. They're trying to brand wanting to brand our professionals in a way that makes it maybe easier to talk about the various professionals. But I think, you know, our rehab task force has made it pretty clear in this that we have some grave reservations about 
uh, what the implications might be for doing that. So with that, it's uh, recommending a do pass and I so move. Motion has been made and seconded. Any discussion? I think this, <laughs> all those in favor of the resolution say aye. Aye. Opposed? Thank you. Thank you very much. We have one more. If you're willing to take it. Yep. We've got. Uh, how about just a All right. You could either have a, a joke or another door prize while he loads this last resolution. <laughs> Let's uh, think can, about that can, a little bit can more. We, <laughs> can we do one, uh, one door prize while he loads the resolution? They need a mic. Door prize people? Yeah. Sorry, I sprung that on you. That was a I'm surprise. The mic. Thank Hold you. On. Nebraska likes to cooperate with Montana. Hold on. Thank you. All right. Are we? Are we door prize? Okay, we bear? have um, okay. we have a bag of goodies. I have no blankets. I, did you say a bag of goodies? Oh, okay. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. You know what? <laughs> I brought a towel to put over my shoulder. <laughs> Goodie bag from CCB Capital <laughs> Chapter. Christopher Green. Oops. Is Christopher, Christopher Green. Green, not here. Okay, not here. Yeah. Karen Campbell. Hey, I know here. she's here. <laughs> Karen Campbell. Somebody get um, Karen. Raise uh, your hand. Can you jump raise up your and hand, down. and they'll find you. She, Illinois. She's there, standing up. That's awesome. On the back. All right. Very good, Madam Resolutions President. Resolutions is ready. This is the to third go. of our topical resos from this morning. This is back on the older blind program. This is about getting ACB a bit more uh, in the driver's seat, if you will, in terms of leadership uh, on this issue. So, whereas the Federal Independent Living Services for Older Individuals Who Are Blind, or OIB, program is currently uh, serving less than 2% of the eligible national population likely to benefit from such critical services. And whereas full funding for the OIB program through both federal and state appropriations is not at all likely to be achieved in, in the foreseeable future for a host of political, fiscal, demographic, and related reasons. And whereas Medicare, Medicaid, and private insurers fail to cover visual... Uh, Virtual, they fail to cover virtually all of the costs of vision rehabilitation services and the assistive technologies that are essential to allow older people with vision loss, comma, including people who may have additional complex health needs or disabling conditions, comma, to live safely and independently at home and in community. Now... Therefore, be it resolved that this organization formulate and implement a strategy for uh, what in the word formulate a strategy for cultivating private foundation and individual grant 
funding streams for the field of blindness and visual impairment to use, uh, for, for the field to use, to supplement and not supplant currently available public dollars for services to older individuals who are blind or visually impaired. And be it further resolved that such a strategy should primarily involve partnerships with uh, leading organizations and individuals in the field who should work collaboratively to pursue and obtain such private sources of support which should, comma, in turn, comma, be made available to those individuals and private organizations that are most in need and or who serve the most vulnerable or overlooked segments of the older blind community across America. And be it further resolved that the private funding streams cultivated through, the strategy, through this strategy should support the delivery of all services that are now authorized to be provided pursuant to the OIB program. We recommend a due pass, I so move. Motion's been made and seconded. Hearing no discussion. Someone, Tony? Yes. Oh, no, no, I, I couldn't tell who that was. It is. Frank Welty. Oh, okay. Go ahead. I'm somewhat confused by this resolution. It seems to be saying that we're going to be or looking for, doing a strategy looking for grants. The question is, why are we looking for grants for other people than ourselves? It seems to me that if somebody's out there grant funding, they should be looking for it for their agencies. Now, if we want to get into the, that work line of business ourselves, that's fine. But otherwise, I don't see why we're doing the work for somebody else. Tell me what I'm not understanding here. Yeah. Uh, so this is Mark. I'll, I'll say that I think the consideration of the committee was that this isn't so much we're going out getting grants that other people should be getting as much as having ACB and other leading groups get together for purposes, essentially, I don't want to say just marketing or packaging, but it's really about, you know, having a field-wide collective effort to reach out to those funders uh, that maybe we haven't, especially particularly large donors that we haven't reached out to before. Uh, you know, obviously, there are going to be individual groups, including ACB and AFB and whomever, that are going to be pursuing their own individual grants. I think... What we haven't done a very good job of, um, all of us, is cultivating new relationships with new donors. And, you know, what you don't want to do is have all of us, you know, competition's good on the one hand. On the other hand, it's also important that we present a unified front and, frankly, raise awareness. Most of these funders out there, and, and, you know, and Eric and others have addressed it. I'm not going to go into that. But it, it, most of them, you know, when they think blindness, they think, oh, you're after a cure. Very few of them really seem to be focused on needing to fund and support living with vision loss. So I think part of what we're trying to do here is to say let's all work together to raise awareness. Madam President, Judy Wilkinson. Go ahead, Judy. Um, I just I want to support what Frank said but say something else. I think we're already doing this if we weren't out there looking for these grants. What, you know, I think this is, I worry that this is a superfluous resolution to what we're basically already doing anyway and it undermines the power of our other resolutions anyone else wishing to speak in support of the resolution in support get to a mic I'm going to recognize Tony thank you Tony Stevens 
Thank you. Madam President, just as clarification for that question. Um, maybe not clarification, but having been in the, in, in, in the room with resolutions and then also just in Washington with, you know, enacting this and steps forward, um, I think a key thing to consider for everyone is, is giving the green light to make sure that we do all things necessary, that consumers are also part of the conversation when there are additional ways of trying to find revenue streams. So, you know, my interpretation of this taking it back to Washington would be that we will do everything necessary to make sure that consumers are at the table, that it's not just service providers sort of calling the ways in which new means of trying to create new services or expand services or secure services are. So uh, I think if you focus it, and you're right, Judy, there, are, there is a lot of that going on. Um, I think it just needs to be amplified more uh, in working on a national level. Okay. This is Kathy Lyons. And, and I want to speak in favor of the resolution, and I want to explain my particular situation, and there are a lot of other people that are in this same place. I'm going to be 72 on Tuesday, Monday, I mean. <laughs> I am retired. I have no intention of going back to work, so I'm not a VR competitive employment person, and yet... My vision has failed significantly such that I would greatly benefit from the OIB services. And that $548 doesn't go very far at all. I intend to sign up when, once I get my Helen Keller equipment. And I want to get as much training as I can on my new computer and I'm sure they're going to want me to see the low vision doctor and the, the social workers and all of that. And I want to direct all my money to learning the computer. I don't want to do the other stuff and take the money away from that. So I think it was pointed out that this is a greatly underserved population. I think 2% was the number. And so if we can get grant money to fund these services for the older blind... I think that's a great idea, and I am in favor of the resolution. Thank you. Thank you. All right. All right. There's no further discussion. We checked the mics. Um, all those in favor of the resolution, say aye. Aye. Opposed? All right. The resolution is adopted. Thank you. Thank, thank you all you. very, very much. Really appreciate you spending the time on these resos. I know they're long and involved, but thank you so much. Craig Meter, are you here? Okay, come on up. All right, our, our next speaker is president and CEO of the American Printing House for the Blind. You met him um, fresh, new to the job a year ago. Um, and he asked if he could come back because now he knows what he's doing and he would really like to tell you more about what he's doing Thanks, at the American Printing House for the Blind. Thanks Welcome, for Craig. That was awesome. I don't know if I know what I'm doing yet. That's, uh, that's the reality of, of yeah, the yeah, job I'm in. But I, I thank you all for getting 10 valuable minutes of, of your time. And... Uh, Okay, I'll get closer to the mic. I'll just put my lips on this mic here and yeah. pity the person following me. Um, 
No, the, uh, it's, I appreciate the opportunity to come speak with you. We value ACB as a partner, and uh, your support has been instrumental in uh, uh, APH's success over the years, and we want to continue that partnership. So I like the opportunity to come and just share what's going on. So I have three points, and we're gonna get, I'm going to get off the stage right after that. The first one that you probably, or many of you probably have some interest in, and that is the Orbit Reader. Yeah. And you're basically, the question everyone is, when is it going to be available for sale? Um, well, we, we, we uh, are doing our darndest, uh, and when I say we, I'm referring to all members of the Transforming Braille Group, working with Orbit Research, and it's just been... Uh, on the behalf of TBG, our apologies. Um, our original uh, plan for distribution was about nine months ago, but we have had one, I shouldn't say we, I'm taking credit for things that we have no control over. Uh, Orbit Research and their development and production facilities have been besieged by one issue or another. First was a monsoon. Uh, the second was they had a failure in some major equipment. And so they've been troubleshooting. Our last little thing as of late it has been an issue of a few what we call ghost pins. And those are those pins that don't disappear. Um, we believe that uh, I've been told by week's end they should have resolution to that and then production can be ramped up again. But the reality is, is it's probably going to be September before we start to see large numbers. And when I'm talking about large numbers, of course, I'm talking about a quantity of about 200 units being shipped per week, and that probably won't occur until mid to late September, all fingers crossed. Right now, they're coming in batches of 10 and 12, and they're going through intensive quality control at our facility because we want to make sure that we have less than a 3% failure rate, which um, is industry standard, and we want to make sure that the product we're delivering fully delivers on its promises. So that's what's going on with the Orbit Reader. We did uh, this, we, you are our guinea pig. I mean, we brought in 20 units this week and sold those very quickly here. That was the first sales of any kind other than one we sold to Stevie Wonder back in May as a personal request. Um, so you were, you were the first group to actually get to have the Orbit Reader, and what we're hoping is that those lucky individuals will be able to give us some excellent feedback very quickly about if it's performing well, if they're having issues, so that we can get those addressed before we go to, we start getting those large shipments in. The second one, second point I wanted to talk about is we just completed a very lengthy one-year strategic plan, and for those who have done strategic planning before, that is, uh, gosh, it's, it's right up there with, with visits to the proctologist, I think. Um, it's a long, drawn-out process. Yeah, it's down there. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Mark Riker, thank you very much. All right. But uh, what came out of that strategic plan was, was two things. Is one is we went back to revisit our original charter. And in our original charter, um, it talked about being of service to anyone with blindness and visual impairment. And about, I guess, a, as things will have it, people tend to develop a focus. And our focus pretty much for the last 50, 60 years has mostly been on that K through 12 population. And so one thing that came out of the strategic plan was a renewed focus to look at the adult population. 
figuring out what are the needs of the adult population, uh, not only just, not only products in the essence of high-tech, but what are the low-tech needs of all of you? And that's something I'm going to be honest and somewhat embarrassed by. We don't have a lot of information on. So we are going to be doing a lot of uh, reaching out to groups and saying, what is it you need? What's working? What's not working? What's that one little tool or device or product that might make your life a little better? Trying to find those things um, and so that we can deliver those all to you. And then the other piece that came out of the strategic plan is the idea that APH should have more of an impact. And what I mean by that is we, we've done a good job of staying within our lane, so to speak, but we realize that we have a larger responsibility to the community as a whole. And uh, we, st we start our statement with because APH. And it says basically because APH, there should be a, a national an international, as well as a local impact. So we've, we started off with that, uh, and I'm not talking products here. I'm talking about improvement in lives of people with visual impairment and blindness. And so one of the first things we challenged all our staff with is accessibility. And so we, many of you have participated. We greatly appreciated that. But we've given ourselves a goal. Within five years, we're going to make, this is on our local level, is we're going to make the city of Louisville, Kentucky the most accessible city in the United States. And we already have commitment from the mayor. We're already meeting with every major venue as far as getting every building mapped for indoor navigation. Uh, we are, we're dedicating over a half million dollars to that process this next year. We're going after another million dollar grant from a local agency that promotes Louisville and we are looking everything from the airport to the ballpark, uh, to every city office building, to the malls, to the fairgrounds, to the amusement park. But our goal is to make the city accessible. And a big piece is we got into this work, and then the question I asked all of our staff is, well, what do we mean when we say accessibility? We know we have the ADA rules, but I'm going to be honest, the ADA rules never really went far enough, I believe. So we have reached out to all of you, and we're reaching out to the profession and anyone else, and we're doing these surveys about accessibility. We want to hear from people who deal with accessibility issues on a daily basis as to what makes a city accessible, what do you need in order to fully access the city, where does the city need to step up, where do services need to step up. So we're in the process of gathering that information. I appreciate President uh, Charlson and the entire committee here for allowing us to be here in your space to ask those questions. We also have an online survey, and I apologize, I don't have the URL with me on that one, but uh, you can go, we, we have that information, we'll get it out there on our website. But the idea is that we're going to use that information to further inform not only the work that we're doing at APH, but that's information that will be made available to ACB. Um, we believe that by the time we are done, we'll probably have close to 400 responses, maybe more, of folks addressing issues of accessibility. And to my knowledge, that is probably the largest survey ever done of blind and visually impaired people about accessibility. And that will be available to ACB to carry out your mission. That'll be uh, foundational information that you can use to, whether that's going after a grant or 
imploring uh, Congress to take action, um, but we feel like that's a, another way that we can have impact, is we can, we can be a resource of information to help benefit ACB and its mission. And uh, so that's a lot of the work. So if you haven't had a chance to respond to that survey, I know our survey takers went home today. They're getting set up for the next conference they're going to. But that survey is available online, and you can do that in the comfort of your own home or on your own phone or however you choose to do that. And uh, we want to thank you in advance for all your help with that. And um, that's the three points I wanted to hit today. And like I said, we continue to look forward to expanding what we're doing. If you have ideas, I will say that again. If you have ideas for products, if you have needs, please uh, contact us. There is a, a product submission form on our website. Or if you don't want to mess with the website, pick up the phone, get a hold of customer service, and talk to them about what your ideas or needs are, because we would really like to have that. We have the URL? Yes, sir. Uh, Dr. Meter, I have it for you. It's www.aph.org forward slash AC for Accessible Cities. Again, www.aph.org slash AC. Thank you so much. Our, our goal with that is once we finish with this part of the survey is we'll be enlisting, of course, the, the chapter right there with Carla in uh, Louisville as we move forward with this plan. We've had uh, several meetings with uh, city officials and once this grant comes through, and that's our big fingers crossed, then we're gonna motivate, or I shouldn't say motivate, we're gonna mobilize an entire task force to, to really address these issues citywide. Our hope is then, is that uh, the nice thing is two weeks ago we had a chance to meet with uh, four other mayors from Midwest cities and we showed them what we were doing and their question was, how do we get that in our city? And that was Dayton, um, Lincoln, Nebraska, um, Pittsburgh, and I forget the other, the other mayor. But our hope is that if we can make this happen in Louisville, that will become a model for other cities to come see. And then our goal is not to go out and replicate that. Our goal is to get a hold of all of you within your cities and say, we've got the people who can help this make, make this a reality for your city. And we'll give you the templates, uh, how, we, how we did this, our strategies, and you can take it and adapt it for your city so that your city can then, then become more accessible to meet your needs and uh, meet the needs of all citizens within the city. A good accessible city is good for everybody. Yeah, yeah I mean, that's such common sense. So I want to thank you again for all your efforts, and thank you for this opportunity. And with that, I know you got a lot of important business, so I'm going to exit the stage. Thank you. Question? Christy Crespin. All right. Well, I want to commend APH for taking on such a huge initiative, but what an impact it will have on Louisville, and what an impact I think it can have on the whole country. So thank you, APH. Madam Chair, question? Um, Christy Crespin? We need to move on. Is it related to... Yes. I want to I know, are you working with AARP and its Accessible City Initiative? Thank you. I, he's, oh, he's going to a floor picking mic. Up, Craig is. Thank you. Picking up a mic. Are we working with AARP? 
not at this point. Um, we are still in the beginning stages. We have a, I ha so people who work with me tend to know that sometimes a great idea, uh, it, it's kind of like sitting on a powder keg and we kind of sometimes light the powder keg before we <laughs> decide where we're gonna run once the powder keg blows up. And this is one of those situations where we had an opportunity, we took action and we're kind of pulling pieces together as we go, perhaps not the smartest approach, but it's darn exciting. Okay. So we'll be, uh, we'll be reaching out to check, a number of check committees. Out, check out AARP. I have heard of their Accessible Cities Initiative. It might give you some, some ammunition to work with. That sounds great. Sounds good. Thank you. Good idea. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you so much. Now I'm going to call um, Dan Dillon, Dan Spoon, probably the walk captains to, um, forward. Um, don't you, aren't you curious? How did the walk do? What did we make in the auction? So here to, here to share that news with us and to recognize some very hardworking people, I have Dan Dillon. Thank you, Kim. How's everybody doing, huh? Oh. Yeah, next year I'll bring a, bringing a jacket, maybe a ski jacket, I don't know. Um, well, anyway, I'm, I'm here, to, as Kim said, we're going to do the uh, Resource Development Committee report. I think most of you know what the RDC is, Resource Development Committee. We oversee a lot of the fundraising, and I serve as a co-chair. Dan Spoon is the other co-chair. He's down below me here. Uh, we're, we're going to be handing out some uh, plaques for our um, walk teams. And um, <clears throat> But before we do that, uh, George Holliday is working very hard in the uh, exhibit hall, trying to get people to sign up for the monthly monetary support program, the MMS program. We're really trying to promote that uh, in a big way this year. So uh, uh, George uh, told me earlier that uh, we've done really well this year. We're not done yet. Uh, the, uh, when the exhibit hall closes today at 1, then tomorrow the uh, MMS table will be outside this room. We'll also have the angel wall there if you folks have not got, not got a chance to... Uh, Observe and get your hands on the ACB Angels Memorial Wall. But to this point, because of this, uh, George is being so busy, along with Kathy Brockman and some others, we have added uh, collectively uh, an uh, annual contribution to the uh, MMS program of $4,000. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. And, and we, we, can, we can do better. And we're going to, uh, and this is just from the convention, guys. So, so um, and, and I wanted to just take a little personal privilege here. And I know time is probably of the essence. But, um, you know, we have these sponsors, the, the gems. We call them, you know, ruby sponsors, diamond sponsors. Well, when um, Marjorie Beeman got up this morning, I mean, this morning, yeah, well, it was this morning, okay, um, and talked about... We're going to go over $300,000 in sponsorships this year. 
I'm not sure you all realize what a milestone that is. And nobody works harder than Marjorie Beeman. And personally, uh, when we talk about GEM sponsors, I think that uh, Marjorie Beeman is an ACB GEM. Oh, give her a hand. All right. <clears throat> Thank you. Okay, first of all, uh, we're going to talk about the auction that was held Monday night. And while Kim Abair is telling you about the auction, I would like those who are either captain of a walk team or some representative from each walk team to start making your way towards the stage here. Could you? All right. Show a little emotion, huh? Uh, okay. Uh, without further ado, I want to I want to introduce you introduce to you Kim Abair from Louisiana, who did a great job with the auction. Kim. Although the totals haven't been uh, verified yet, I think we made just over $16,400 at the auction. All right. Thank, Thank y'all you. for your uh, participation in the auction, and we look forward to y'all being there again next year. And I'm here to tell you that my, because of the auction, <clears throat> My little credit card and my billfold's doing flip-flops, okay? So, uh, anyway, so, uh, but it's, it's all for a good cause, guys. Okay, we're going to move on. Thank you, Kim. We're going to move on to Donna um, Brown from the great state of West Virginia to tell you about the walk. Donna? Let the sparks fly on the 1st of July. Get up and walk in place. It's cold in here. Okay. 
Thank you. <laughs> uh, I, I need to mention that song was written and recorded and sung by Josh Haza. He is the music instructor at the West Virginia School for the Blind. What didn't he do an awesome job? Yay, Josh. Okay, the 2017 ACB Brenda Dillon Memorial Walk was another awesome experience. So here we go. First, we have to thank those generous sponsors who um, also sponsored the walk. So we have Vanda Pharmaceuticals, <laughs> Macular Degeneration, MD Support, Regal, Adobe, and then once again from the Buell Fund. Thank you, sponsors. I, I've got to quickly thank my committee because they, they make the walk good. So I would like to thank my co-chair, Leslie Spoon. Thank Dan Dillon, who coordinates the sponsorships for the walk. Melvin Smith, who's unable to be here, but he is the one who coordinated the creation of the rally towels that were given at the walk. Uh, and then other committee members who are invaluable, Katie Frederick, Linda Allison, Robert Spangler, Dan Spoon, and Sarita Kimball. It's the best committee in ACB. I certainly have to thank all of you who have contributed to the success of this year's walk in whatever way you, you did. Thank those who registered for the walk, those who created teams, and the team captains are up here. Give those team captains a hand because they did a good job. I certainly thank those who worked hard to seek donations. We're going to talk about that because I'm sure you want to know that. And also to those who did make donations. So currently, we have raised, and this was different from what Nancy sent me yesterday, but I checked the walk site this morning, Nancy. Uh, so currently, we are at 63319 dollars <laughs> so I want to remind people that our goal is $65,000. Do the math. Less than $1,700 away. Just some more people dig a little deeper in your pockets, seek donations from family and friends, and we can do it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I want to recognize the teams there's 20 of them this year, 20 teams. That's remarkable. And I'm, I'm going to, as accurate as I can be, I'm going to give amounts that these teams have accumulated. And forgive me if I make a mistake. I am so sorry. So some of these uh, numbers are impressive. Um, so if you remember, the, the creation of a team, the captains, when they create the team, can designate up to 50% of the donations they bring in to go back to that affi the affiliate, of their affiliate of their choice. So here we go with some impressive numbers. Currently, of course, our top team, can anybody guess? Florida Hurricanes. And so they currently, um, under the leadership of Leslie Spoon and, and Jim Crott, are at $18,480. And as much as I hate to say the second team, because they overtook me. But anyway, but my good, 
My good friend, Dan Dillon, is the captain of the TN Brenda Dillon Mall Walkers, and they are currently at $3,495. Right. That little team from West Virginia, we are at $3,100. Our great president and her team are at $2,990, and, and I feel sure they can get over $3,000 without much work. We have the e-racers, I love that name, from Kentucky, who are captained by Carla Rushville, who's unable to be here, but she still works hard, and they are at $2,025. Our top affiliate team, who, they did a great job this year, the CCLVI Firecrackers. And they are at $1,570, that's remarkable. The next is the Thundering Herd from North Dakota. And they are at $1,150, that's great. Our proud prairie people from Illinois are at $1,038. And this team that kind of came at the last minute, Diabetics in Action, but they're awesome, $1,000. The Missouri Mules are at $835. Now here's a team who was a one-person team and they're doing better than the baseball name, Franz Phillies, a little better than that Phillies team. She's $750, great job. California Colossals, $665. ACB of Indiana, $655. GDUI Mushers, I like that name too, $626. Virginia Hams, $600. That's Texas Trailblazers, $530. Alabama, Council of the Blind, $400. The Bits Hard Drivers, $225. Student Steppers, $75, and then we have another team from California. I don't know what happened there, but anyway, $25. So this is great. Um, and, of course, we all had some you know, who registered as individual members, uh, individual walkers, and that's okay. That, that's good. Um, so let me remind you, again, that our goal was $65,000. We're less than $1,700 away. So um, we... You have till the end of July to send in donations that will count toward the, the um, team totals. And the checks from the Minneapolis office will be written sometime in the middle of August. So still seek donations, get those donations in. Thank you once again, everyone, for helping to make this walk another success. Thank you. Thank you, Donna. Uh, we don't want to forget, I know we've mentioned it several times, but don't forget about the ACB Braille Forum raffle. I mean, everybody out here can use $5,000, can't you? And really, yeah, put it towards the walk. We'll reach our goal. But um, you, you all know, if you don't know, you're going to know right now that I have sold the last two winning tickets to the ACB Braille Forum raffle. So if you, and I'm, I'm selling these raffle tickets. So if you want to have a chance at really winning, see Dan Dillon and the Tennessee uh, delegation. And uh, thank you all for your hard work and, and your contributing to the fundraisers for ACB. Very good. Okay. All right.
Um, thank you. Thank you, walkers, donors. What a great success. Thank you so much. Um, I want to recognize Patty Cox real quick for a mini-mall announcement, and then we've got awards coming up that you don't want to miss. News from the Audio Description Project. Patty? Hi, everyone. Um, we do have some special affiliate pricing, um, especially on our coasters and our card cases, and the mini-mall has also sold winning tickets to the Braille Forum, so come see us and buy your tickets. All right, I need Dan Spoon up here. He has to leave the group hug down there um, to make the presentation. I want to also recognize and turn the podium over to Joel Snyder from the Audio Description Project. Thank you. He's a coming. <laughs> it is. Keep coming. Okay. There you go. Okay. Oh, you got a nice shirt on. Good morning, ACB. Are we excited about the audio description project? In my family, when something really good happens, we have a cheer. It's a pretty common cheer, but we love to say it in the Spoon family. So when things are going really, really good, my dad, because he's the patriarch of the family, he gives a big hip, hip, and the whole family goes, you all already got it down. So right now, I want everybody to stand up, because we're all freezing to death. And... What we're going to do is we're going to talk real quickly about all the wonderful accomplishments for the American Council of the Blind. And at the appropriate time, I want to hear a hip, hip. And 10 years ago, it's only been shortly 10 years ago, my only exposure to audio description was once a month I got a video, a DVR, a VCR, from my Braille and Talking Book Library. I think my wife and I saw Pretty Woman 25 times. She loves that movie, and it was one of 10 we could order. Think, gang, think of where we have come in the last 10 years. So I want to tell you right now, the FCC is going to vote on the 13th, and we're going to go to seven hours of audio description in the four major broadcasting networks and five major cable stations. Hip, hip. Let me hear a hip, hip. Right now, working with our partners on acb.org slash ADP, there is now over 1,000 hours of streaming content that's audio described from Netflix, including all original programming. Now I hear a hip, hip. Three weeks ago, Amazon announced that all of their original content and many other titles are going to be audio described. Let me hear a hip, hip. 
Just this year, the Department of Justice codified a, a notice of public rulemaking that by June 2nd, 2018, all digital movie theaters in the United States will require audio description equipment by June 2nd, 2018. Let me hear a hip, hip. <laughs> to tell you the role that ACB has played in this, just yesterday, gang, it brought tears to my eyes. We had a group of 60 people, kind of a little cold, over in Ponderosa A and B, and we had an ADP workshop. And on this panel, you had your executive director, Eric Bridges. You had your ADP media subcommittee chair, Carl Richardson. And that's kind of normal, right? We always get together and talk about audio description among ourselves. But let me tell you, tell you who else was on that panel. We had Mark Lasser from Charter Communications. We had Peter Korn from Amazon. We had Will Shell from the FCC. We had Alex and Paul from, and from AccuVision. And we had ActiView. And we had we had John Herzog from AT&T Direct. All seven of those people on a panel with 60 of our consumers talking about how to improve audio description for blind and visually impaired people. Light bulbs were going off. Smoke was coming out of the doors. Gang, let me hear a big hip, hip. We have arrived. Audio description is here, and not last but not least, because it brings a tear to my wife's eye every time I talk about it. This summer, for the first time, she got to understand and fully appreciate women's gymnastics and swimming during the Rio Summer Olympics. Hip, hip. I want to gear one more time for, for Comcast, NC, NBC Universal. Let me hear a big hip hip for audio described real time Summer Olympics. But right now, I want to turn it over with one final big hip hip hooray to Joel Snyder, who's going to give us an update on the ADP program and introduce to you Abby Marino and also our award winners. But as part, I want you to especially be especially excited and thrilled with Abby Marino a wonderful young woman who was our grand prize winner for our first batty contest. And so stay tuned and hear from Joel Snyder. Let me hear a big hip, hip. All right. Well, I know who my number one audio description cheerleader is. Boy, and well, I can't think of a more appropriate chair for our audio description project steering committee, except, of course, when Kim was the chair. i got to say that quick. That's right. That's right. Good save, Joel. Okay, anyway, <laughs> it's great to be here today for my ninth annual report to the ACB membership. Uh, the audio description project, by the way, Dan, can everybody sit down? Yeah. Yeah, oh, okay, good. You can, if you want. <laughs> the audio description project is a major uh, description promotion and production initiative, or a couple of things, uh, developed under the leadership of our own Kim Charlson and Dan Spoon, who's the chair of our steering committee. Um, we just did a whole lot of stuff in 2016. I'm gonna review it quickly. It was our eighth full year of activity, 
another banner year, really. We had a super audio description project conference in uh, our sixth, actually, in Minneapolis. Uh, eight nations represented, along with uh, attendees from 16 states and D.C. We had our 2016 uh, audio description awards, and we're going to hear about the 2017 awards in a minute. Uh, we had a Minneapolis-based audio description institute, which was a tremendous success. Uh, success, I think. Yay, Minneapolis, yeah. Uh, I think we had 21 people or something there. And in February of this year, uh, we did another one in the Washington, D.C. area with the mid-year meeting, uh, and I think we had uh, 20 people there. Uh, we're going gangbusters with that thing. Uh, tonight is our annual movie night um, uh, with a description, of course. Uh, so uh, be there or be square, right? Seven o'clock, Pavilion A, we're going to show you the audio-described version of La La Land, which, um, uh, you know, we have, a we, yeah, we, we have a tradition of showing the Best Picture Award from the Academy Awards, and La La Land really was the Best Picture Award for about a minute and a half, if you recall, <laughs> if you recall. And then Moonlight was the, and we showed Moonlight the other night, for the BPI folks showed it, and it was great. La La Land tonight in Pavilion A. Um, by the way, you know, you can purchase DVDs or anything else when you go through our website. Our website, I can't say enough about Fred Brack, who uh, is our webmaster, and how he has pulled together so many features on our website, acb.org slash ADP. You can buy DVDs and be assured they have description. Uh, from that website, ACB gets like a nickel from each one or something. Uh, if you buy a refrigerator, we get a dollar or something maybe. I don't know. Um, we've Actually, since 2009, we've raised $10,000 in fees from Amazon. Uh, so that's great. But the website, I can't say enough about it. And by the way, I want to say a, a shout out to Vicki Vogt from uh, Perkins and Massachusetts. I don't know if you're here, Vicki, but every week she gets information to Fred on uh, uh, describe movie listings. So I want to make sure we acknowledge her. Uh, DVDs, we have, uh, golly, I think we're well on uh, the way to uh, listing about 250 DVDs that are described uh, this year. Uh, that increases by 20% each year or so, which is just a great thing. Uh, we have television listings for you, and we have our friend Sebastian Andre Miles helping us with that. Uh, we can tell you on that website what's on television with description at that moment in time. Uh, it's a great resource. So DVDs, we can tell you about the films I mentioned. Uh, we've got all kinds of articles. In fact, if you're interested in the history of description, we recently posted Gregory Fraser's seminal master's thesis on audio description. He wrote this in 1975, and I was proud to be uh, a good friend of Gregory's. Uh, he um, uh, posted, um, rather wrote this master's thesis uh, that really chronicles uh, one of the first efforts in audio description in California. And I must say that my own uh, book, uh, published by ACB in 2014, is available through the ACB Mini Mall. Uh, I'm very proud to say it's already been published in Russian. Uh, the Polish and Portuguese versions come out later this month, and plans are underway for Spanish, Arabic, and French, uh, which is just mind-boggling. Uh, yeah, thank you. And, and by the way, we, we just this past year um, completed an audio recording of the book 
uh, for uh, NLS, the National Library Service, and the DC Library. So you get to, you know, if you don't enjoy hearing me uh, speak for a few minutes, you certainly will not enjoy listening to me read the entire uh, damn book. You know what I'm saying? Um, but you can also, you can, <laughs> you can also get a download in, uh, from the ACB store uh, as text and have your beloved Jaws read it to you or something like that. Uh, so that's maybe a better uh, way to do it. Uh, it's also on Bookshare, by the way. Uh, so we have our Facebook page. We've got like over 2,000 likes. We've got 200 Twitter followers. We have a grant from the DC Aid Association to do a, a, a really neat audio-described tour um, of the National Museum of, of, of Natural History, Smithsonian Institution's Insect Zoo. Insect, which is a, such a popular place for kids, and it, bug, it bugs, uh, it bugs Ray. Okay, I get it. But I'm bum. Uh, anyway, <laughs> and we are so pleased too to have Dr. Francisco Lima from Recife, Brazil, on a postdoctoral fellowship this year at the Smithsonian. Uh, he is one of the only blind professors of description I know of in the world. He's in Washington this year, and he's going to be helping us with that tour. Uh, I'm looking forward to great things there. Um, and, um, uh, well, uh, mentioned at our Batty Awards. The Batty stands for Benefits of Audio Description in Education Contest. We had 27 entries that we got from students ages 8 to 18 from all over the country, and we will hear from our grand prize award winner in just a moment. And finally, we also, um, we also um, launched a certification program initiative. Hopefully within the next two years, we'll have a way to ensure quality. We'll know that this describer, this description producing organization has been certified by whatever body we work with as knowing what description is about. We think that's really critical to ensuring quality. Um, and we did a couple of things. We, we offered the live and spontaneous audio description for the uh, 2017 ABC broadcast of Mr. Trump's inauguration. Uh, also the um, on-site for the uh, presidential inaugural parade. So all of that good stuff. Let me go ahead here, because I'll be sure we leave some time for a couple of our award winners that are here. And of course, we'll hear from Abby. We're saving the best for last. Uh, the awards we pre present each year uh, to, to recognize leadership in the description field uh, within the wide range of its applications. So we have achievement awards in performing arts, media, museums, in the international arena, um, the uh, Margaret Fanshteel uh, and Barry Levine Awards, Margaret Fanshteel uh, Award for Research and Development, and then finally the Barry Levine Memorial Award for Career Achievement in Audio Description. So let's begin with Performing Arts for Achievement in Audio Description. In Performing Arts, this year's award for a comprehensive program of description for all productions throughout the year with 100 attendees on average for their performances. Whoa, let me tell you. We've been talking about that at, at our Audio Description Institute this morning, how hard it is sometimes to get people there, get them to know about it. Well, Lori Ward at the Tennessee Performing Arts Center has done it. Yes, let's hear it. And Dan Dillon, come on up and say a word real quick about uh, our award winner, Lori Ward, Tennessee. Okay, real brief, guys. About 15 years ago, my late wife, Brenda, and I 
uh, attended an audio descriptive uh, play in uh, Washington, D.C., okay? We were so impressed. We, 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 when we got back to Nashville, we said, we, we have got to get this into Nashville, Tennessee. So I made a phone call to the Tennessee Performing Arts Center, and I talked to a Lori Ward. She took the ball and ran with it. And she's the only person I, I needed to talk to at the Tennessee Performing Arts Center. And for, and, uh, for the past uh, several years, she has worked very diligently to, to make it a better service. She's, she's upgraded the, the equipment. Uh, we have t uh, many, many people attending audio described Broadway shows. And uh, I would just encourage all of you out there, if you don't have a, a audio description at your local theater, playhouse, uh, performing arts center, call them. Call them and tell them that you, you would like to have audio description at your local theater. And it does help if, if your chapter is uh, strong enough financially to to plant some seed money. That's what the Mid-Tennessee Council of the Blind did. Uh, we, we started, we gave uh, to Performing Arts Center some money, and they matched the funds. And so we got it off the ground. It's been extremely successful. So thank you, guys. Thank, and thank you, Lori Ward. Yeah. You. you bet. You bet. Thank you, Dan. That's great to have that kind of testimonial. Uh, media this year for their act which allows for program viewing with audio description. No other major network currently provides such an app that includes audio description that you can use on your smartphone. We want to recognize ABC Digital. Yeah. Neither Mr. A, Mr. B, or Mr. C could be with us, but the, you know, we'll get the award to them. Um, our international award um, you know, description, I started with this in 81 at its inception. We have spread throughout the world. I've had the honor of training description or doing description or speaking on description in 52 countries. And one of them is New Zealand uh, for, uh, for their not-for-profit organization's program that provides captioning and audio description for television, now totaling more than 40 hours per week. You know, they're getting started with this, and they're doing a great job. I helped them with it a little bit. The, the group is called ABLE New Zealand, our international award winner. And you know, we were so tired, we had like nine nominations in the international arena. We were tired, just, uh, I don't know, we didn't know how to separate out. Uh, they were all so good that we decided to give a second one. And we decided to acknowledge a, a fellow academic colleague of mine from Poland. She has done a great work as the president of the Seventh Sense Foundation, where she develops audio description and organizes the screenings at the Krakow Film Festival. She gathers volunteers, trains them in creating audio description, and makes all those films accessible. Dr. Anna Jankowska. And we, we, every year we give one or two of what we call a special recognition achievement in audio description. And we've got a, a fellow in Florida, an ACB member. He has been working as a consistent contributor on so many aspects of, of description via our ADP listserv. We have a dis discussion group um, he, and the website. 
he, he leads us on and clues us into what TV networks are doing and, and what Netflix is doing regarding audio description and their tracks or delivery systems. His name is Timothy Wynn from Florida. And moving up the chain here, Dr. Margaret R. Fanstiel, Memorial Achievement Award in Audio Description. Margaret, you know, was the developer of the first ongoing audio description service. That's what I was talking about, 1981 at Arena Stage. Uh, this is uh, named for her the award in research and, and development. This is another developer of an app. And this is a little different than the other one. It offers audio description as well as closed captions, amplified audio, sign language interpretation, and multiple languages in movie theaters or at home. I'm talking about ActiveView, and we have with us Alex Corin, who this kid, he's a kid because he's younger than my daughter, for goodness sake. Alex Corin of ActiveView is here to accept the award. Alex? Say a few words. Thank you very much, everyone. Just give one second. We're yeah, we're going to take a photo picture. op. <laughs> yeah. We just want to thank everyone for this opportunity. This is huge for us. Uh, you know, we've been working on ActiveView for a year and a half. Born from the idea that access should be available to everyone for every piece of content that you want to enjoy, whether it's a movie at the theater or a TV show at home. We want to make it as easy as possible for everyone to really enjoy uh, those experiences. And so this is a community effort. We're here to build technology for you guys, but uh, this is an opportunity for everyone to be loud and proud about, about the need for access. And the more people that use the app, the more people that go and download content, and we can show Hollywood this is an important thing we need to do. And so, so be loud. Uh, email us and give us your feedback. Try the app. We want to hear from you. We want to make it for you. Uh, and thank you guys so much. This has been an amazing, amazing experience. I just told him uh, the award has got Braille on the back. He's going to have to learn Braille now. Um, you know, that's just the way it is. And finally, I am real pleased to be offering this year's Barry Levine Memorial Award for Career Achievement in Audio Description to a lady I've had the pleasure of knowing for a number of years now, and I am just always amazed at what she accomplishes for audio description. Her and her crew and staff of folks based in Vancouver, Canada, but that's okay, we like them, they're our neighbors to the north, right? And I'll tell you, she founded Descriptive Video Works, breaking new ground and removing old barriers by using audio description to make television, film, other visual media accessible to people who are blind or have low vision. And if I'm not mistaken, those Olympics, isn't that right? The Olympics were described by Descriptive Video Works. So we are so pleased that Diane Johnson is here to accept this year's Barry Levine Memorial Award for Career Achievement. Diane. incredible honor to receive this award and I, I really appreciate it. I didn't know Barry personally but I've heard wonderful things about him that he was such an advocate 
and it's great that there's so many other recipients that have been advocating for more audio description. Um, one of the things that I love is working with people that are blind and vision impaired and doing focus groups with them. And uh, one of the things that when we started the company 14 years ago, I had a vision, and now I look at the work we're doing for Netflix, for the Olympics, and I'm just so grateful for the opportunity, and I know that it's just going to continue to grow. So thank you so much for this award. It means a lot to me. Thank you. All right. Well, as you know, we each year, uh, and for the first time under a new rubric, the Batty Awards, we recognize young people who participate with us writing reviews of audio-described film and video, our benefits of audio description in education program. We ask kids who are blind or have low vision to watch described programs, write a review of that film or video, as well as uh, not just the film or video, but its effectiveness of the audio description. And we revamped the program for 2017, uh, improving it, expanding it, and all of our first prize award uh, winners in three different age groups got prizes and had the opportunity to record the readings of their essays for broadcast on ACB radio. And they're on our website, that ADP, ADP website. But now, you're in for a treat. I have not, I have not met a 16-year-old <laughs> in a long time who is as articulate as our grand prize award winner for 2017, a young woman who is a talented writer and a real fan of audio description, Abigail Moreno of San Francisco, California. Come on up here, Abby. And while she's making her way to the stage, I'll just let you know she's the recipient of an iPad mini and a $100 iTunes gift card. Uh -oh. And her teacher, by the way, got a $100 gift certificate. Uh, at, uh, he, and they, they work at Lowell High School in San Francisco. So California, be proud. I see Jeff Tom there, he's proud. He's clapping his hands. Well, Abby is here with us to say a few words and to read her award-winning essay. Abby. All right, oh my goodness. Uh, <laughs> it is chilly in here, isn't it, guys? <laughs> Let me just start off by saying that. Maybe it'll get us all warmed up a little bit. I'll be honest, I am in a dress right now with heels and shivering. <laughs> so I'm kind of, uh, kind of uh, mimicking my chihuahua who's waiting for me back at home, who, by the way, has three legs. Uh, <laughs> um, well, before I go ahead and read my essay for all of you, um, I just want to go ahead and give a couple shout outs and some thank yous uh, to all of those who are not only attending this ACB uh, gathering today for this part of the convention, um, but those who I worked with directly, particularly Mr. Joel Schneider and Ms. Susan Glass. Thank you so much for being fantastic individuals and making me feel so welcomed and giving my family and I this opportunity. It's really an honor. Um, as well as some other people who are a little bit more personal to me and my parents. Mom, Dad, thank you for being willing to take the drive up here, spend 4th of July here this, this year with all of you. Um, as well as my former TVI, Miss Ellie, who I've been working with for over 10 years, and she is here today 
And I'm so glad that she's here supporting me. Thank you, Ali, for everything you've done for my family and I. A um, little uh, quick intro, I guess, on myself, because it wouldn't be fair to read an essay to you guys and not give you an idea as to who I am. <laughs> um, my name is Abby. I'm from San Francisco, California. I'm 16 years old, and usually what you can find me doing at home when I'm not wearing a dress and shivering, I'm usually wearing skinny jeans, a t-shirt with one of my favorite bands on it, listening to my favorite music, or if I'm not doing that, I'm either playing guitar in my room, writing lyrics to a new song, or playing with my puppies at home, who I love very much, and hanging out with my family and friends. <laughs> so now, if you would allow me, I will go ahead and read my essay. Are people with visual impairments getting their money's worth when it comes to watching blockbuster movies and trendy videos online? This is a very important question that, quite frankly, has been avoided for far too long. In today's day and age, where technology fulfills such a major role in all of our lives, everyone longs for the ability to interact equally despite individual differences. And this, and for members, of the blind community, this kind of equality just might be found through audio description. In Faith, my story about being confident, a short film that can be found on the American Council for the Blind's website, tells the sweet and encouraging story of a young girl who enters a songwriting contest and overcomes her stage fright when she wins. This particular video, among thousands of others, is audio described from beginning to end. Through my observations on this film, I am able to say that most of my feedback is positive, which I must admit took me by surprise. One particular aspect of this film that I had initially worried about was whether or not the description would interfere with the voices of the featured individuals. My experience in the past with voice adapted videos has always failed to meet my expectations on this important detail. Yet, the description of this video impressed me on a few unexpected levels. For one, I highly applaud the fact that common visuals such as the credits at the end are read aloud and even a detail as small as a light bulb being shown in the background are verbally explained as well as the descriptive voice speaking with smooth clarity, outstanding details, and neat precision. Additionally, no matter how many times I went back to listen to this video clip, I really could not find any time where the voices of the individuals and that of the audio description clashed with one another. Therefore, I highly applaud this short film on these audio described highlights. Despite the positives this film has to offer for visually impaired viewers, there is some negative feedback I feel obliged to share. My one criticism would be that the voice on this audio described video is a bit on the robotic side. Yes, this is common for most audio described videos. However, I think it would be a more natural and appealing approach if a standard human voice, if you will, were used instead. Obviously, this may take more money, technological training, and time, but could definitely be worthwhile. Speaking from my own experience with audio 
described films and having not been much of a fan for most of my life, I feel this adjustment would make the optional service more inviting overall. As a whole, I learned that not all audio described videos and films are the same. And with a few adjustments here and there, the adaptation can actually be quite enjoyable. I feel that making audio description available for blind people should be taken seriously and be put into effect globally so that all can enjoy the big screen luxuries that life has to offer. Personally, I'll definitely be thinking twice about using audio description the next time I sit down and relax with a blockbuster classic and a buttery bucket of popcorn. Thank you. I just want to, in closing, real quick, uh, we have all 18 of our Audio Description Institute participants. It, the Institute began today. We go through all day today, tomorrow, and Friday learning about description, learning how to be the best describer they can be. All 18 of them are here with us. So stand up, you guys, and say hey, and we'll give you a hip hip hooray, too. Huh? All right. And back to Kim, huh? Madam President. Thank, thank you. Thank you, Audio Description Project, everybody. One more round of applause for all of them. It was great. <laughs> all right. Madam President. Um, I'm not going to take any announcements quite yet. I, I have one more report. Michael, can you? Um, Michael Garrett has a very brief report. We're going to have some door prizes and announcements after his remarks. So, can Michael. I ask so, I got a question. I got a question about audio. I mean, do you want to follow up? I don't know. Question. I'm in front of one. Okay, can you hear me? Okay. All right, I know. Okay. Michael says there's no way he can give the ACBES report after Abby. Okay. So, so he's going to do it tomorrow. Is there a question in yes. the back President, regarding audio description? Yes. Please identify yourself. I, Carolyn Burley. Okay, go ahead. I get audio described movies from, our, from the Library for the Blind, and I put them in, and nothing comes out. Well, my uh, computer guy told me to do it this. You push this button, this button, this button, and it'll come up. But then on the next movie, I do that, and then he says, oh, this one works this way. And then the person from our local library brought, brought some television programs, and he says, oh, to put it on, you push this one three times with this one. How, I mean, it seems like to bring, if you're, if you're blind and can't read, you live alone, it seems like it's all these different people that are putting it on yeah. have a different way of bringing well, the I, I hear what you're saying, and it is a problem. The, it's great to have the audio description, but how do we get the access to the DVD? Right. We're working on it. Industry has not been very cooperative, <laughs> but we continue to work at it. And maybe now with some of the newer DVD equipment, I hear there's a Sony player on the market for $50 that's completely accessible and allows you to access the description tracks on, on your device. So 
now that we got the law in place to have accessible equipment, that may address the issue. So put that Sony video DVD player on your wish list and maybe it could be waiting for you. Um, I think that's one solution, but there's no great answer to that question because at the I present time, but it is a real concern. I get the old one. All right, Madam I'm going to move on to some announcements because we're all freezing and it's time to go have some lunch. All right, Madam is someone President? at a microphone? Yes, this is Darian. Okay, Fleming. go ahead, Darian. I, um, I have a couple things to say about audio description. First, I want to publicly thank Joel Snyder for audio describing himself, the memory, the memory video that we prepared for John Fleming's memorial service. Um, he even um, broke some of his rules and when I provided names of people and places, um, he was more specific and that was a wonderful worry. thing. Um, and if I had planned ahead and had the funding, I would have had our production team editor who audio described the documentary clip Saturday night, I would have um, registered him for the audio description <laughs> project because the documentary for John will be audio described. And I just found out uh, while I was waiting to make this announcement, we had a medical emergency with one of our cohorts on um, the production team Saturday night right after my presentation. So she wasn't able to put the clip up on Facebook and Twitter, but I just heard from her that the clip is up. If you went and didn't find it, that's why. So if you go to facebook.com and twitter.com slash blindjohnmovie, you'll be able to uh, see that clip. And those of you can actually see will get to see it. Thank, Thank you. you. Is, are the door prize people ready? Doug Powell from Virginia, quick announcement. Uh, all right, quick announcement while we get our door prize people ready. Great, thanks. Uh -huh. um, uh, 1.15 to 2.30 in Ponderosa B. Uh, if you've ever wanted to be a writer or if you are a writer and want some inspiration, we've got four prize-winning writers talking about the craft, and uh, we'd love to have you join us. Thank you. Door prize. Are we ready? Yes. Okay, first prize is ACBM, yay. Door prize, $25 for Susanna Rogers. It's awfully quiet, I don't think she's here. <laughs> Darian Slayton Fleming. Oh, that, she's definitely she here since she was just speaking at a microphone. Yep. Thank you. I thought so. Another name? The next one is a $25 uh, California Glendale Burbank chapters uh, given. And another Susan Bowmaster. I do I hear think Susan Bowmaster? She's here. I think so. Viviana Norris. She is oh. not here. But there are a lot of people here. Yeah, so you'll get are. one. Yay. <laughs> Gary Leary. Oh, man. Jerry nope. Leary. Gary Leary. <laughs> I don't think so. Kevin Berkey. Berkey. 
Kevin Berkey? Burke, maybe? Berkey. Berkey. <laughs> I know who he is, but I don't think he's here. Okay. Gina Nielsen? Yes. Is Gina here? Somebody's still here. Gina is here. All right. The next one is a $25 California Glendale Burbank door prize. Ron Davidson. Not here? Not in the room. Okay. Rhonda Nelson. Okay. All right. Yeah. Alice Rickhart. Richard? She's not in the room. Okay. Everybody's serious. Tim Stone. Oh. Tim he, Stone. No. Yeah, that's Scoopmasters Tim. The guy that does all the guide dog stuff. All right. Let's give it to him. Okay. Thank you. Okay. All right. Thank you and, so much. Okay. okay. Um, we have one more. You want one more? Okay. Yeah, just we'll do one, one more. Better. Sure. Yeah, why not? Ready? One more. And I'll help you find Tim if you, if you want to give it to me. or. Cindy LeBon. Oh, oh, she's probably somewhere else, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. John who? Yeah, exactly. John uh, Kalawaski? <clears throat> no. John Kalawaski? No. Ron Olson? Casey Dutner? He's All right, here. Casey, yay for Casey. There you go. Okay. All right, everyone. Thank you so much. Casey, stand up and jump Casey, and holler and raise front. your hand and whatever. Um, I think we had a great session today, and we will see you tomorrow morning by 8.30. We have a lot of business tomorrow. Some important things are happening, some elections, all kinds of stuff. So we're, we will stand in recess until tomorrow morning. Okay, that uh, concludes the session. Um, I don't have time to run anything because I've got to go set up in another room, so I'm going to sign off immediately. We'll get the replay up here probably in the next uh, couple hours, and uh, we'll get it, things going then. So long for now. <laughs>